Holy crap! It's the Watchmen movie episode by the Legion of Dudes. Some kind of way out of here. Said the Legion of Dude, 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 Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes Watchmen movie extravaganza. Um, what a long, strange trip it's been, and we're finally here. We've finished the book, and now we bring us to what started this whole strange thing in the first place, the Watchmen movie by Zack Snyder. I am joined, as always, by my cohorts in the Legion of Dudes. Um, guys, introduce yourself. This is Adam Reed. Hey, this is Adam Umack. This is John. This is Jim. And this is Ken. Alrighty, guys. Um, got a lot to cover tonight. We're going to talk about the movie in every way, shape, and form that we can think to cover it in typical dude style. And to join us and help us out with that, we have Mr. Lenny, Seacounter uh, from the from the Comic Forums. Lenny, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it, man. Good to have you. So um, if anybody knows Lenny, we all know Mr. Cooper loves his Dave Sim, and we know Lenny loves <laughs> Cerebus. Um, Lenny, um, Dave Sim has got a new book coming out called The uh, Cerebus Archives. Can you kind of give us the one-two punch on uh, Cerebus and the new Archives book that's coming out? Sure, no problem. First of all, it's Cerebus Archive. Uh, Dave Sim always makes a point of that. <laughs> Singular. Um, it's going to be a bi-monthly book that's going to alternate months with uh, his other book that he has going out now, Glamourpus. And uh, basically, uh, I like to think of this sort of as DVD extras for the Cerebus series. Uh, basically, it's a lot of things like uh, character sketches, uh, ca- character designs and sketches, um, pre-Cerebus um, work that Dave Sim did or other work that wasn't um, published or published in weird places where you might never have seen it. Uh, the first couple of issues have like letters uh, between like Dave Sim and uh, Gene Day, who uh, um, did a lot of work for Marvel and some for DC, um, uh, trying to break into the business. And it's their personal correspondence. And you sort of get a bird's eye view of uh, uh, two young teenagers trying to break into the business. And both of them will ultimately succeed. Uh, and it's just a lot of uh, neat stuff uh, that's ultimately Dave Sim or Cerebus related. Awesome, and it's a lot of that good nostalgia that uh, Adrian Veidt sells only in perfume form, too. Hey, Lenny, can you uh, talk to us real quick about uh, your experience with Watchmen? I mean, did you read it uh, when it first came out back in the 80s? Absolutely. uh, Excellent. Well, that makes you and Jim a pair then. That's great. Um, I guess what were your initial impressions about the book way back when, and how crazy was it to see it on screen 20 years later this weekend? this has been a long time, one of my favorites. Uh, I would say that Alan Moore is probably my favorite comic book writer. Uh, you know, I've read 
pretty much everything he's done, except maybe some obscure stuff he did way back when in England. And uh, when it was coming out in the mid-'80s, it was just awesome. It was just like unlike anything out there at the time. And uh, I remember reading and rereading the issues, between issues, waiting to see what was going on. And, uh, and, you know, you didn't have the big, uh, you know, comic uh, community. At least I wasn't plugged into a comic community like now with the boards and everything. So a lot of it was just, you know talking to a couple of friends i knew that that were also reading comics and uh uh it was just awesome and i remember the last the last issue there was a giant wait and uh, it was like torture <laughs> and uh you know since then uh you know it's something that i'll read every few years uh and i actually hadn't read it in a while so it, it was nice uh i did a reread um up going up into the movie and uh it was uh it was pretty cool to see that on the big screen uh, finally realized there was a a project that you'd heard about for for years decades even you know going back to the rumors that Terry Gilliam was working on it and uh, I think uh Darren Aronofsky for a while maybe uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh you know ultimately it finally got made i i, I was pretty shocking <laughs> well, and that's and that's the good kind of shocking right Absolutely, yeah. It cool. was. Uh, it's, I've been waiting a long time. I was really psyched to see it this past Friday. Very cool. Well, um, I'm going to toss it back over to Russ. So, Lenny, just jump in whenever we're talking. By all sure. means. Thank you. Great. Well, like I said, we got a lot to cover. We're gonna we're gonna start off. Um, we we do have an interview. Um, we we were able to score an interview with Mr. Clay Eatis. I think we mentioned this in the past. Who is um, writer of the or photographer, I should say, of the Watchmen portraits. Um, book. It's a it's an awesome coffee table book. We'll have some something coming up from him very shortly. Um, but first, I thought we'd just kind of go around the horn here and just everybody just kind of give their initial thoughts what they what they thought of it. Um, you know, likes dislikes, just in in a in a broad sense before we kind of get into the meat of it. Um, I'll, I'll I'll start with myself. Um, I loved it. Um, it 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 was just fabulous. Uh, I, I think it definitely met my expectations. Um, which, which I think, like all of us, were pretty high. Um, the the one the the one thing that I had really a tough time with doing, and, and I went with a buddy of mine, um, and he he'd only read it once, and, and we both kind of said the same thing was it was a little hard to detach yourself from the book because you kind of know what's coming for the most part. So um, I, I'll be interested to see it again and try and just kind of remove myself out of it a little bit. But uh, but you know, two big thumbs up for me. The three. Yeah, I. Uh... I really, really enjoyed it. I've seen it twice already, uh, and uh, I thought it was spot on. Um, I, I think really what Zack Schneider did was make a movie for the fans of the book, not anything but that. I, and he did uh, a great job, and and you can tell he really has a lot of love for the material. Um, but yeah, I'll be seeing it again. I think we can safely dispel the myth that Watchmen is unfilmable. You know, I, I, I love the movie. I have, like, I can't even think of anything to complain about. You know, I liked how, I mean, that the movie was about 95% literal from the book. And, you know, the, the few things that they did deviate from, I mean, and I know we have the ending set aside to talk about, but, like, that's nothing. That is nothing. This movie was awesome. Thank God it didn't suck. And I have some probably misplaced sense of ownership but this is a cool movie yeah i mean i I really agree with you guys i think um i think the changes were things that i felt like they fit very well um you know like adam said we're going to get to the ending when when we get there but um you know i think he tied it up into a nice 
bow and box, you know, perfectly for the end. I think it made great sense. So all of the changes didn't bother me at all. And I had a lot of fun. I, I can't wait to see it again. I enjoyed the film. Um, my only uh, complaint with it was that, and it's something that my wife brought up after watching it with me, was that uh, it might be a lot for people to take in who haven't read the book. Uh, just because uh, the first hour is, is a huge info dump. I mean, they're laying a lot of history on you that we would normally uh, see in the book. So what I would say about this is it's as good um, a Watchmen movie as you could fit in two and a half hours. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm very interested to see the four-hour cut that we're going to be getting on the DVD later this year. Um, I'll just say that I, I, I'm a new reader to to Watchmen. This experience that we did on the show um, – was the first time I read it, so I don't have. I haven't lived with that with the book for twenty years. So uh, when I say that I love the ending and preferred the movie ending to the book ending, it made more sense to me. Um, take that into account because uh, I know a lot of people were uh, concerned about that. And again, like we said, we'll discuss it when we get there. But that's just my initial reaction. Is the whole movie um, just worked very well for me? If it's missing anything. Um, it was missing that everyman human quality. Like it was great to see the Bernies at the very end, but without knowing their story, it didn't mean as much. I can't imagine it would have meant as much. And I'm hoping that's the kind of stuff that gets cut back into that director's cut uh, that we're going to get on DVD. Yeah, that's exactly my thought too, Ken. I, watching it, I could almost see where where the extra scenes would be. Almost uh-huh. like uh, the, the Janie Slater uh, storyline. Uh, it seemed very truncated, and the whole uh, Rorschach and the psychiatrist storyline scene, you know, instead of having that spread out over, you know, a few weeks like we do in the book, it was all in one session. And it's just, I, I, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a very good film, and it's about as good as you could do with such dense uh, source material in two and a half hours. Like any novel um, that's, you know, has that much going on, you're going to have to make some cuts. You're going to have to truncate and kind of bring it down a little bit but i'm interested to see the longer version to see where exactly um you know i mean i think it'll give the story uh, more room to breathe and you know more time for the characters to develop lenny how about you i thought it was excellent you know i I, uh especially given my expectations going in uh alan moore books have a very poor history of being translated into film in my opinion and uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's some really bad ones and there's some not so bad and uh, none that I've ever loved. And uh, this is far and away in my book the, the best adaptation of his work. Uh, I, is it as good as the book? I don't think so. You know, I mean, the book is just more nuanced. It's more subtle. It's deeper in a lot of places, more philosophical. But uh, given uh, what could have happened and what did happen, I, I think it's terrific. I mean, I, there are so many great scenes that were translated perfectly. I think they really nailed the characters. I I think they made a couple changes that I wasn't so happy with. Uh, you know, the ending one, that was probably the biggest change. I don't think it was a bad change. You know, I, I think that uh, it's, it was a reasonable change. And, uh, and uh, you know, so, you know, that, that, that was the biggest potential for a problem. And I, I think they dodged the problem. Uh, overall, it was just a fun movie to see. Um, I think the comment about how it's hard to divorce yourself from the book to the movie is, is very on point because, you know, it, it's hard for me to imagine how someone who hasn't read the book could, could absorb all that stuff because there really was a lot of stuff. And, uh, but, uh, no, I mean, what I saw on the screen, I loved. And uh, it was exciting. Uh, a couple of places, it might have been a little heavy on the fighting, but you understand why they put that in there. Um, overall, um, I think it was a solid movie, and I was glad to see it. I think aside from the opening credits, I, I mean, like, I'm not going to say my mouth was moving when, when I was quoting, like, the book, 
you know, when like Rorschach was screaming, give me back my face or anything else. But like, I could totally tell where issue one ended. I'm like, okay, well, Dan and Laura, you're at dinner. End of issue one. All right, well, the comedian's in the ground and Rorschach's got the rose on his jacket. End of issue two. Like, that was, <laughs> that was more unbelievable than I thought. So anyone who's screaming foul that says it's, it's not faithful, I mean, come on. I mean, you're, you're just out to approve them. You're just out to, you know, start a fight because, I mean, I, I could not imagine how they could be more respectful. I mean, Dave Gibbons was involved for, for one you know, and true to the source material. I mean, so they took all the prose pieces out from under the hood and everything, and they put it in an awesome five-minute montage for the opening credits uh, suite. <laughs> you know, um, this, it was unbelievable. I'm, I'm still reeling. I mean, I was thinking about it all day today. It hasn't really left my head just yet. Yeah, like I said in my review on the on the website, I think this is the, the comic book movie that's closest to its source material probably since uh, Sin City. I mean, it's that close. I mean, there's so many shots taken out of the book, so many lines taken right out of the script, and uh, you know, so many scenes that you know, we just we just saw realized in almost exactly the same way they are in the graphic novel. Well, actually, one movie that I think might be a little closer than Sin City was probably 300. You know, by the same director. That one I had read right before I saw the movie, and uh, he he did the same trick there. You know, there, you have shot for shot scenes and the dialogue right out of the book as well. Well, I think before we kind of get into the to the meat and the bones of the book, I think we're going to do a little um, housekeeping, and then um, listen to a, to a, uh, about a fifteen minute interview with Mr. Clay Enos that uh, that the guys participated in. So I think Ken, you've got some uh, voicemails queued up that we've been hanging on to. Yeah, we got a couple. Uh, let me get one right out of the way. Uh, one of the dudes uh, had the thoughtfulness to actually call in with uh, initial right out of the theater reactions. I can't believe more of us didn't do that. So let's play that one first. Hey guys, it's Russ. It's uh, 9.30 on Friday. Just got done seeing the movie. thought it was great. Um, I thought the, the overall Snyder did an awesome job. Um, it, it's pretty much what I expected it would be. Um, I, I think I prefer the ending in the movie a little bit better than the, the ending in the book, as we'll, as we'll talk about. Um, something that John and I talked about earlier... Uh, I almost feel like it's hard to detach myself from the book. Um, it's it's really tough to separate the two. It's it's hard to watch that movie um, and not thinking about the book the whole time. So in a way, it's it's like part of me almost wishes I'd have just seen the movie in a vacuum, but uh, but it can't be. So um, enjoyed it. It's great. Um, really long, but you know even at, uh, almost three hours. It's amazing how much stuff is is not there. So. Um, be interested to see what the what the longer cut is like. Anyway, maybe we'll play this in the show. Maybe not. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. We should get him on our on our show. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's hey. got a nice uh, radio voice too. <laughs> he's got a funny accent. <laughs> All right. Anything you want to add to that, Russ? No, no. I think anything I have to add will uh, will will come later. But yeah, that was that was my straight out of the theater. Um, drive it down. Uh, Highway 35 on my way home. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, got another voicemail from a frequent caller and a uh, friend of the show, Mr. Dan from San Antonio. This is Dan. I just uh, got out of my movie. Uh, overall, I think it was a pretty decent adaptation. Um, 
I did find the the musical score somewhat lacking. I didn't really think that uh, some of the music really fit the mood of the movie, especially the 99 Left Balloons. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I realized that the music was appropriate to the time period, but I didn't really feel that it, it belonged in the setting of the movie. Uh, some of the other things that I missed, um, I missed the, the whole newsstand guy and the kid. I missed that. Uh, that that was completely not in the movie, and I thought that uh, that really helped progress the story some and, and clued you into what was going on in the world. Uh, they also cut the psychiatrist and his wife. Uh, with that I didn't really miss so much, but I you know I did notice it obviously because I read the book. Uh, I what I really missed was the the little. Um, Sleds that not, uh, that Owlman had, uh, and him and Rose Arch rode across the snowscape up to up to the, the pyramid and stuff. I missed that. Uh, I didn't really miss the, the giant the giant octopus thingy. I thought the ending that they went with worked out pretty well. I think that that pretty much fills my complaints. I did enjoy the movie though. Uh, I, I will see it again. I, it was definitely good enough to see more than once. I think that's about it. I can't think of anything else. I'm I'm eagerly awaiting uh, next week's episode when you guys talk about the movie. Hopefully, you guys will play some uh, some of the voicemails and emails and stuff that you guys get concerning it. Because uh, it'd be fun to, uh, and neat to see what other people had to say about it. And I'll probably post all this on the forums too. But uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. I'm sorry, Dan. We can't play your voicemail. It's impossible. <laughs> Yeah. Who did you guys uh, go see the movie with? I uh, saw it with my wife and brother-in-law who had borrowed my copy of the book uh, and read How'd it. That go? How'd that go? My wife actually liked it quite a bit. Um, she felt it was a little long, but she thought it had great action scenes. Uh, and I think my brother-in-law was a little disappointed in some things that changed from the book. But uh, eh, what can you do? I actually ran out of work uh, with a buddy of mine. We both cut out of work early. We saw an 11 o'clock um, in the morning showing. And uh, he's actually the grandson of Julius Schwartz. So he certainly had a big comic book background, and, and he loved it as well. Get out. Yeah. I went with, uh, with, with Art, my co-host, a too old to grow up. And uh, he liked it. It wasn't great to him. He's uh, also new to the book, but he only watched it through the motion comics. So... Uh, We'll be talking about that in a future episode of our show. I am planning on seeing it again, hopefully this Saturday, and I've actually uh, negotiated terms with my wife, so she'll come see it with me, and I'm looking forward to seeing her reaction because uh, she has no interest in comics at all. Kudos to you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I had to see like a chick flick to, to get this, so what are you going to do? Yeah, hey, Jim, no what about... I'm sorry. I was going to say, there's no way on God's green earth that my wife is going to sit in the movie theater for a two-hour and 40-something-minute movie of anything, let alone let alone based on a comic book, that's for sure. Um, but no, I went with uh, one of my coworkers who had read it, um, you know, with all the hype coming up in the movie and everything, he read it probably about maybe six months ago, maybe a little less, um, so we both went, and he, he, he really liked it, but he kind of the same, same thing as me, it, it, it he just thought it was a little weird watching it, knowing everything pretty much that's going to happen. I mean, he knew the ending was going to be a little different, so that was a little bit of a twist. But, but you know, kind of knowing everything that ha- that happened, he, he, you know, kind of threw him a little bit too. But, but really enjoyed it. Jim, what did uh, Melanie have to say? She liked it. Uh, she thought that maybe somebody who hadn't read the book might have had some trouble with the uh, 
storyline, like I said, just because they lay so much info on you. And she was glad that she had read the book. Uh, the first time I saw it was with her at a midnight showing, and it was mostly a crowd full of Pittsburgh geeks from the South Side. And the second showing I went to uh, yesterday uh, when I got out of work, actually. I didn't get home till very late. But um, that was more of a uh, general audience. And uh, the people that I do know that have uh, seen it who haven't read the book have had questions about it for me. Um, I think it's a very good film, and I think it's you know as good an adaptation as we could hope for. But again, I, some you know something with that much going on is really hard to condense into a two and a half hour commercial film. Yeah, Lenny, I know we talked on uh, Friday. You were gunning to get out of work at six thirty. Who who'd you hang out with? I have a comic book movie watching friend of mine. His wife can't stand these things. My wife can't stand these things. So whenever the comic movie comes up, uh, we go together and uh, <clears throat> we met, and uh, he loved it too. You know, uh, it was great. We we were. Standing outside the movie for about a half hour, forty minutes, talking about it afterwards. Hey, just to jump. I'm sorry. Uh, just just to jump on um, what you guys were talking about about how it's hard to watch the movie knowing what happens. For for you guys that went with people that didn't know the material, do you think they were surprised that it was Adrian? Because I got a big feeling that they were painting Adrian in like a very sinister light, and I thought it would be obvious to everyone that it was him. But again, that could be from knowing the ending. Well, um, I, we went. Um, well, first of all, Jamie liked it, which I was surprised at. She didn't look when a uh, big figure's goon got his hand sawed off, which was crazy. Uh, <laughs> and she didn't look when Rorschach hacked the kid toucher to death uh, with the uh, hatchet. But. Um, we went with uh, our friends Jonathan and Kristen from Germantown, and um, they had not read it. But we, when we all, when the four of us went to go see The Dark Knight together, and the Watchmen trailer hit, as soon as it ended, John and I looked at each other and we're like, "All right, we are going to go see this. Put it on the calendar." Um, having not read it, John figured out that it was Adrian because um, they made it a point to show um, the killer of the comedians glove, and he kind of noticed the same. Um, glove as far as adrian's costuming goes uh for one of the shots that was uh really close up on adrian right not only not only that uh i think the guy who played adrian had such a specific body type he was tall he was skinny Mm -hmm. i thought it was very obvious uh with them showing so much of him in that opening scene and uh actually my my uh brother-in-law's uh fiance was with us and she had no clue what she was getting into going on and she said she realized uh as soon as she saw uh adrian for the first time after that scene Thank, thanks for saying that because i i was seeing the same thing watching that whole opening sequence like god you can even tell us adrian but i thought that could have just been me knowing who it was um so i'm glad that people who didn't know were, picked like, that up because you were looking for it like, right exactly you know what I mean? yeah like, i thought it was just my my filter scene but i'm glad other people picked that up as well who wouldn't have known Boy, Ken, I'm glad no one spoiled the movie for you this time around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you notice that the pyramid deliveries truck drove by as soon as the um as soon as they pulled up from the comedian's body? Yep. That was just like panel one. I was kind of surprised that they didn't start with panel one. I was really surprised that we got a five minute action sequence at the beginning of the movie. I kind of liked so, the way um, they did it like that, rather than cutting that scene in with the police investigation, which is how it was in the book. Right. Um, it, it just they, worked out they, smoother. They did dead-on casting for uh, Detective Fine and the other guy, too. Those were pretty, uh, pretty spot-on. Yeah, I wish we could have seen a little bit more of them uh, than we did. We saw them in that scene, and then we saw them uh, when Rorschach gets uh, captured at Moloch's house. 
Um, it's all been cool through them, but I guess that's just one of those things that had to get cut for time constraints. So maybe in that uh, director's cut. It, not to get yeah, too I far think, off. Go ahead, um, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, another, uh, I think, victim of the the cut or whatever is, like, any. there was almost, like, no attempt to make Adrian uh, sympathetic at all to, like, you know, throw anyone who might suspect him off the trail. There was, like, that one scene with him and Dan, but even in that, he, ch- he seemed... You know, to come off really cold and aloof. I, of all the of all the the, I know we're getting a little ahead, and we're going to talk about the different portrayals later. But of all the casting and all the all the you know the roles or whatever, that was the one I thought uh, rang a little flat. You know, just it didn't seem like Ozymandias to me. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I I thought he wasn't quite big and handsome enough because he's supposed to be like this almost a Teutonic god type, you know, uh, and uh, he just seemed a little squirrely, you know. And, yeah, my, and charismatic too. I mean, Ozymandias is supposed to be very, you know, good-looking, dashing, charismatic. You know, someone who you know smiles and lights up the room. And this guy just seemed very, uh, you know, Europe, you know, like uh, I don't know, just European and Aryan, but not very sympathetic in any way. The only way who can get into Studio Fifty Four at that time, of the, that time, uh, time frame, uh, must be doing something right. <laughs> my brother in all said it right for him it, it, he's basically he's a Ken doll is what he is and so before we get too far ahead I've got two more voicemails to play real quick I'll do them back to back these are from two folks who uh, from what I understand have not read the book uh, going in to see this movie so let's, let's hear from them hi this is John from Germantown I watched uh, The Watchmen this weekend and I thought it was great it was very awesome uh, coming from someone who has not read the actual graphic novel yet, I definitely want to read it now and see the differences. Um, but I thought it was a thoroughly entertaining movie, very awesome, and I'm a big fan. All right, thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Kristen from Germantown, and I just wanted to say I saw Watchmen over the weekend, and now having seen it, I, I am interested in reading the graphic novel. So I think that that's one of the biggest compliments a movie can get. Bye-bye. I actually think it's really great that uh, people who haven't uh, seen the book are interested in reading it now uh, after seeing the movie. Uh, a year or so ago, I talked to my, my little comic book shop owner, and he said he sees a lot of that after like 300 Sin City. Uh, and that's hopefully they'll read that and then want to read, read some more stuff. Even uh, Carl, my friend, was saying in the chat room here that uh, uh, his wife wants to read it now, which is, which is awesome. And, you know, DC, if you look at the, the March uh, solicitations, DC has the battle plan for okay, what happens next after Watchmen. So, you know, after the movie runs its course um, and, you know, people are going to the comic stores and everything else and, the, and ordering their comics online, um, you know, they're releasing, you know, Fables. They're doing Jack of Fables. They're doing um, the, the, the big Vertigo series, like, uh, whatchamacallit, Northlanders, mm-hmm. doing a reissue of Planetary and The Authority and Transmetropolitan. So that to kind of hit that vertigo wildstorm wave of, I guess, uh, atypical stories, atypical heroes. Um, uh, DC and Vertigo seem to be, you know, going to that, and you know, you can get them online. I think there are the first issues are all a buck a piece. What's, what's really nice and about what, that is that they're not all like carbon copies of Watchmen. I mean, they, that, that'll get you in, but maybe you're not into Preacher, but here's Identity Crisis if you like super, you know, superheroes and, and, and Superman and Justice League, that kind of stuff. There's a good variety of stuff in that, you know, what's next after Watchmen uh, series, which is, a nice, which is nice to see. Well, I think I've got some emails here and some forum comments that we've, we've kind of been hanging on to for a while. So before we get into the, the clean or, Enos interview and then kind of delve into the to the 
nitty gritty here. I'll, I'll go through these um, kind of quick here just to, just to do some catching up. Um, so I'll start with some emails. Um, got an email from Ben F. Um, he said, just wanted to drop a few lines, found you guys by accident, and I'm glad I did. Love listening to your Who Reads the Watchmen podcast as I follow along with you with what all what with what you all find. You showed me Watchmen in a new light. Thank you. Uh, next one is from somebody named Jack. Um, says, hey there, guys. Enjoy your Who Reads the Watchmen podcast. Having just reread the series after a decade and tentatively looking forward to the movie, your close walkthrough of the graphic novel has been a real pleasure. Um, then kind of, we, we kind of went back and forth on an email thread. Um, he is actually um, writing a Ph.D. on Superman and had some questions about uh, specifics on whether Alan Moore was still getting royalties or not from the book since he's kind of disavowed himself in the movie so we went back and forth with him a little bit on that um the next uh email we have is from davis t um said i'm a senior english teacher in auburn alabama it was five years ago that a student gave me a trade paperback copy of watchmen and put me on an alan moore phase that's never ended i really enjoyed listening to your lengthy and detailed discussions of watchmen via podcast i'm only on issue three but i'm catching up fast um, I particularly like Jim D's comments. So shout out to you, Jim. Um, I see at least one copy. Oh, thank of you Watchmen. very much. Yeah. Um, he, he, goes on say, I, <laughs> uh, he says, I see at least one copy of Watchmen every class period of the day, probably because of the upcoming movie. Students in every grade level are reading it and then inevitably hitting me up for more Alan Moore after they're done with it. I've told more than one of them about your great discussions. Thanks for sharing with the public. Sincerely, Davis. I've got some forum comments that we've kind of been lingering on um, a bit. We've got one from Mr. Mr. Dan from San Antonio, my uh, my compatriot to the to the West. Um, that movie was awesome. I'm very pleased with it. There are a few things that we that were left out that I had hoped would have been in there, but I wouldn't have made it with time constraints. I guess my biggest beef was with the music. I thought many pieces, uh, while accurate to the time period, didn't fit the mood. I had hoped to see more of the newsstand vendor in the comic reader in the film along with more of the Doctor and his wife. Also, I missed the hover sleds in the Arctic and didn't care too much for Dr. Manhattan becoming a wuss at the end. So it kind of reiterates what he, what he left us in the voice a little bit. Um, then we got a comment here from Oz No on the forum. Says, I also thought they made the movie much darker by adding more blood and violence to what was already there. I saw it with my buddies, and I was planning on seeing, seeing it again with my wife, but I think the added gore might turn her off. I think the extra blood detracted from the legitimacy of or seriousness of the movie, if that makes sense. Um, sounds like I'm a bit negative, but on the contrary, I really enjoyed the movie. Rorschach and Night Owl were fantastic and right out of the book. The special effects for the whole Mars scene were amazing. The story is very true to the source, and what little was changed or edited out, I can definitely live with. I will be getting an extended version on DVD when it comes out. Uh, one last thing, I also love the overweight hooded justice scene. That costume in real life just cracked me up. Um, Next email is from longtime or forum comment from longtime listener, Mr. Jesse Jackson. Um, one of the neat parts of the movie is that I could whisper to, to myself, end of issue one, end of issue two, etc. Um, the end of the movie has changed, but certainly is very true to the novel. The very end of the movie is almost identical to the final few pages of the comic. Some of my favorite lines and scenes made in the movie, including the comedian is dead, I'm not locked here in with you, you're locked in here with me. Um, a certain scene with a flamethrower that is a metaphor for romance, shall we say. Um, the cast is great. I've been, a, <laughs> I've been a fan of Carla Gugino since Karen Sisko, and she was great as Sally Jupiter. Melanie Ackerman was beautiful and very sexy. She really felt like Lori to me. 
everyone has been heaping praise on Jackie Earl Haley's Rorschach, and I have to agree. Billy Crudup as Dr. Manhattan and Patrick Wilson as Dan Night Owl 2 were both good as well. Jeffrey Dean Morgan really makes the comedian likable, even though his character has very few redeeming scenes. I'm sure I'll have more to share later, but this will do for now. I'll go see it again and look forward to the DVD so I can review some of the background scenes. Um, then I got a few comments here um, that I'll go through real quick from our, again, longtime listener, Mr. Cripple Avenger. Um, Watchmen rocked plain and simple. All the detail was perfectly pulled off and pacing was nice, which, which I was worried about. The group I went with had every part of the spectrum. Watchmen zealots, the people who were straight up seeing, it, uh, seeing just the movie, and everyone really liked it. Rorschach was perfectly portrayed. He's my favorite part of the book, so I could leave feeling happy. Um, seeing and hearing the you quit scene, um, chills, sir, chills. The comedian and Night Owl both were pitch perfect, I thought. I like how Snyder didn't ignore the, the prose parts of the book, but weave them in subtly. Um, he asked about this, the, did, or he said, did I miss the super squid? Yeah, somewhat. It would have been cool to see that on screen, but I felt the substitute was good. Using existing lore, um, Manhattan's powers was smart. I love this flick, and part of it is because of, of the Legion of Dudes and their stellar job they did picking the book apart. I was noticing stuff I probably would never have just, uh, would have just reading the book and going in. So thanks again, boys. Awesome. A little bit of house cleaning that we've been laying, hanging on to for a while. Yeah, I think he's right, though, because, you know, that 5% I talked about that, quote unquote, didn't make it. You know, like, uh, you didn't see Dan serving coffee in the owl ship, but you saw Lori putting the coffee cups away. That was all you needed. That was great. That's, that's, that's fine. You know, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. Why not? Why not? You know, plus all the other stuff they had, like Warhol, Capote, Annie Leibovitz, the village people. You know, uh, <laughs> that was pretty awesome too. What do you What do you guys feel about the comment about um, the added blood? Um, I didn't I didn't really feel that way watching it. Did they add anything extra that wasn't in the book in terms of like violence? Well, when Rorschach hacked the kid toucher's head, like the blood went on on his mask instead of his coat, right? Like blood hit my face. I think you would just you see know. it. You would just see it better. I don't think you'd see it or make as much impact as a viewer if you saw it hit his coat. You know, I agree. As I mean, sure on the printed page, yes, you yes, it makes sense, and you can see it much, much better. But I didn't I just, just think uh, it was crazy. You know, big figure when he got flushed. You know, that was say that was you know directly from the book too. I thought the uh, the violence in the movie is very much keeping in the spirit of the violence in the book. It's very matter of fact. It's not like uh, the kind of violence we normally see in comics that it has no consequences. I mean, people are getting you know hurt in serious ways in the movie and in the book. So, I think in spirit, that's very much uh, you know the the intention of the book too. I did feel that the um, the sex scene kind of towed the line of almost too long. Do you guys get that yeah. feeling at all? Absolutely not. Yeah, I've got I've, I've got a. Uh, Does it I've usually happen little... quicker, John? <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> I totally disagree. That's a different podcast, but um, uh, seriously though, it it reminded me of Three Hundred. You know the scene in Three Hundred that I'm talking about, right? So it's kind of like a sure. Zack Snyder, uh, you know, thing that he does, oh, yeah. maybe, which is fine. I, you know, it just the the only one, the only blood scene that. I thought was a little much was uh, when John made those uh, those gangsters explode in the bar when he first became a uh, a crime fighter, and the blood all over the ceiling. That was that was a little much. I thought it didn't you know it doesn't really bother me or anything, but 
Uh, that bothered you more than seeing a pregnant woman getting gunned down? Or a guy uh, taking a meat cleaver to the head? Well, the, the meat cleaver to the head is another thing altogether. I, I wish they wouldn't have changed that, but um, I, I can see why they did. Because there's been a few other movies that have done that same exact scene that was done in the book. But, um, Including Mad Max. Yeah, and, and Saul was a recent one. I think they were more worried because Saul just did it four years the, ago. The only scene I think, and I think part of it is a lot of times in the book, the violence, the violence and the blood were in one panel. So I don't, you know, I think it's just you're seeing it in motion. It just has more impact. The only scene I think that had more, I would say, blood and gore than maybe was implied in the in the book was the the alley fight with Dan and Laurie when the when the knot tops kind of surround them. Right. To me, that was. You know that was way more violent in the movie than the book. But again, I don't think it was a bad thing. I mean, there there is a lot of blood in in that book. I mean, look at the ending. You know, the ending in the book, there's blood everywhere. You know, yeah. people have blood coming out of every orifice, laying you know, you know, stacked ten deep. And and that wasn't you know that wasn't a part of the movie. So in some ways, the movie you know actually kind of toned it down a bit. So. I was actually a little shocked uh, with how how graphic that alley scene was, especially with like the breaking of limbs and that I wasn't really expecting that, but it served its purpose, yeah. which is to say these guys are tough and these guys can, they're, they're putting them down without, with, you know, barely any effort on their part. And, and that was really was meant to, meant to show that these guys are still, they're still, they're still in their fighting shape with, with them saying, or being so tough. I, I felt that was a little bit different. And you saw that, um, a lot throughout the movie about, like how these guys were throwing, you know, people around, and that's not exactly what I got from the book. I, I felt like they were definitely uh, in the book were tough. They were crime fighters, but at the same time, we, we talked about they're not. They don't have superpowers, so that seems almost to imply that they have like some type of super strength. With, with some of the times they were throwing people around, I don't know what you all think about that. Reed, I yep. totally agree, and the first thing I would point to is the comedian against Adrian before he gets thrown out the window. Yeah. The comedian swings and misses a punch, and he takes out the corner of a brick wall, mm-hmm. and then he punches through the wall. I mean, I definitely think for for people that have never read the book, they're going to think that these are super-powered people. And more importantly, Snyder realized that he had to have that scene in there, because it's, it's pretty much them having foreplay, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the whole point of that scene is afterwards when they're leaning on each other and they're they're breathing heavily and they're all you know they're they're excited they're aroused. I mean, it's something that comes up later in the scene with uh, Laurie and Dan where they save the people from the fire and Laurie makes it out of the fire you know just in time like the the flames pretty much chase her right, right into the owl ship and there's that look between the two of them. I mean, Night Owl looks back and looks at her and she looks like she's having to know. And and, yeah. and the, with uh, Dan's whole uh, his impotency problem that that he's when he's not if, if he's Dan he's he's literally impotent you know but you know when he's night all he's he's a man in every way and that's just a big a part of that I mean he he just feels so inferior and not um, um, confident of himself when he's not night owl and they really brought that through I think in the movie and it played out very very well. Yeah, they could have totally glossed that over and just you know left that out. But I mean, Snyder, I mean, obviously realized how important it was to to the film. All right, and I guess I, I, before we get we get too far down the down the rabbit hole, so to speak, um, I guess we can do our our plainness interview and talk a little bit about that, and then uh, and then get into the heart of it. Awesome, Ken. Do you? Uh, 
you have it queued up? I have it queued up. Let's play it and hear what the set photographer of Watchmen, Kalanis, has to say for himself. This was uh, recorded a few weeks ago by uh, Jim and, and Adam. Let's hear, what, let's hear it. So we're talking to Clay right now. Um, where are you at? What airport are you at? I'm in Sacramento. Well, Sacramento, um, California. That's pretty wild because I was reading um, an interview with you from Newsarama.com that you actually read Watchmen the first time when you were on a flight to Vancouver. <laughs> so this is some You're kind of strange, right. strange karma circle um, for you, I guess, and for us too, now that we've finished up and we're ready for the movie. Um, I guess, you know, since you were on the set for all the principal photography, let's, let's just start here. Um, what was your favorite part of the book? What was your favorite part of the movie? Wow. You know, I, I think I think my favorite part of the book was probably just those sort of gritty street scenes of the Rorschach walking around like that that fantastically that New York City, you know, in the rain. Those things are that that to me of course I know I'm reading the book knowing full well I'm going up to, to shoot the movie. And and as a photographer that just that stuff really caught my attention. I, I was really looking forward to then being in that space, being on the back lot and shooting that same thing. So I, I think uh, specifically there was a day outside Moloch's apartment, the rain machines are going and I'm making pictures and I'm like, I can't believe it's happened. Like, this is it. I'm making that photograph that I saw in the graphic novel. So That's while that might not be my absolute favorite, it's one of those moments where the where the transformation and everything just sort of conspired to be uh, everything aligned, if you will. It's really interesting you bring that up because um, I wanted to ask you about, did you actually have to make the, uh, the photograph, the famous uh, Minutemen photograph in the, uh, the film, and also if you were responsible for the um, photographic recreations of, uh, of Dave Gibbons' posters from 1986, and what that was like trying to translate something, you know, two-dimensional comic or whatever to, like, three-dimensional photographic space? Yeah, I think I, you know, reading the graphic novel again that first time, and seeing those photographs and seeing the sort of pivotal role they played, yeah, I was excited to, to, with the notion that I'd make those as well. And when I first arrived, Larry Fong, the cinematographer, had been up there for weeks prior doing prep, and he was a little intimidated. He's like, have you seen, have you seen this, the sort of still photo request? <laughs> and I, well, well, um, I was, I was excited. It was intimidating, but I, you know, I, you can't, you can't let fear get you. And just moved with that same enthusiasm, and uh, sure enough, those photos all got checked off the list. The Minuteman photo, of course, being one of the more famous and sort of widely seen. Um, for the, the, in terms of the, the latter posters, mimicking those early Dave Gibbons illustrations, that's really the work of Photoshop artists. I, uh, they use my photographs as a point of departure, but uh, I have no recollection. <laughs> it was Vancouver, after all, <laughs> of, of photographing a man, you know, crouched in uh, prison stripes. <laughs> I think that's uh, Sally Jupiter's photo. She's got some guy bound, prisoner bound. So that's really, I don't even know how they did that, to be honest, gentlemen. So you read Watchmen for the first time on the plane. That's that's a pretty big, uh, big uh, main course for one sitting. What was your uh, first reaction to the graphic novel when you read it? 
It was remarkable. I, I hadn't been raised with kind of any kind of comic book culture in my life, and I and I really, it, it felt so cinematic to me. It almost I understood it was dense and complicated and layered, uh, but the the structure of it, the the flashback sensibilities, all of that, really felt like it, it really felt like I was reading a film, and and uh, so it. I understood that, again, I understood that it was daunting, but it felt really natural to me, too, as sort of my way of thinking. And, of course, I just, I mean, the, the, the content, the, the messages, the, the nuance appealed to all that sort of visual photographic sensibilities that I would bring to my photographs. Again, it was, it was a fantastic, and while I'm already excited about going to work on a Zack Snyder film, this just was like, what a, what a doozy to be the big, my initial film. Well, one of the things that's really struck me about like uh, set photos and things like that are very much like the color palette uh, are, are used uh, on the sets that was also um, in the graphic novel. And yet with your book, uh, the, portrait, uh, the Portraits of Watchmen uh, from Titan Books, um, you used a lot of black and white photography. Was that to try to get some more of the reality of the character or just to show it in a different way? Or You know, it's funny. I think there's we, we bring a kind of there's a code that photography follows. And when you're looking for authenticity, there's something in black and white. There's something sort of the undistracted, unmanipulated uh, authenticity that black and white presents is appealing to me. And, and in, a, in the world of Watchmen, which is a world of fiction, yet sort of somewhat blurred and so detailed that it's that alternative reality is... is emphasized in my portraits. I was really interested in, and then also the little blur between who's, who's a character in the film and who's a crew member. There's also a leveling of, of superhero and unsung hero, if you will. Uh, all of those things conspire together, and, and black and white just seem the most fitting. There's something sort of beautiful about it. Also, in the, with the nature of the way I was shooting, the quality of light might change from, from day to day or place to place. And this is a way of sort of eliminating any kind of color temperature issues, kind of strange distractions of costume color. Uh, I was I was talking with Dave Gibbons. It's kind of like uh, I brought it back to the place he left it before Higgins came in with color. How's that? <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> wild. Yeah, that was great. So we we were on a panel together at Comic Con in New York, and I just sort of. I looked at him, I'm like, you know, Higgins isn't on this panel, so let's just work with the black and white, let's stick with the drawings, let's stick with content. <laughs> Love to meet the guy one day, I apologize. You know- I really think yeah. that the black and white photos like give it a quality that's uh, it's almost like a realism to something that isn't realistic, you know what I mean? And I really like that about those portraits. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it, it, exactly, and I almost feel like if you, if you pull off the dust jacket, right, which is branded with Watchmen, it feels like an art book that could be sitting in Hollis Mason's library from the time, right? It's, it's, it's sort of the... Everyone in the 80s had Avedons in the American West around, at least in that kind of artsy photo culture. But that work was seminal. It, this is sort of the same thing, but it's, uh, it's the world of Watchmen. My equally you cast... Know- Equally, attention, you know, attention to character and detail and stuff. My photos aren't retouched. It's natural light. So it's, it's definitely working in an Avedon-esque style. 
you know, Clay, for the longest time, people in the film industry and likewise people in the comic industry had always called Watchmen this kind of like albatross <laughs> that, that hung around studios next. And also a film that could never be filmable. I mean, you, you read the graphic novel. You were on the set every day. Can, can you just quell any, um, <laughs> any doubt or hesitation in anyone's mind on the sheer, you know, <laughs> well, awesomeness of how the movie's going to be when it, hits on, when it hits on March the 6th? Uh, you know, it, it, it was an albatross. I think there's the, the, the analogy I've, I've sort of been using is that, you know, if you're out there on a surfboard and, and the waves are coming in, at one point, the, the guys deeper in the sea, they miss the wave for whatever reason. But then there's that one guy who catches it and takes him into shore with, with just remarkable grace and the plum. Zach's that guy. And uh, for whatever reason, right place, right time, and clearly talented. Uh, I've seen the film. I was there for every shot. I was blown away. I, I thought I'd be detached. I thought it would be this kind of, uh, you know, little ho- old home week. Uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody for, for a good while after watching this film. <laughs> I turned to the publicity guy and he said, good luck selling that. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch me, baby, and it is uh, it is alive. <laughs> so no, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Look, you can quibble. It's a, it's a dense and an incredible graphic novel. We're, we're not stealing that. Uh, uh, Alan Moore is a genius. Zack Snyder is too. Zack Snyder's medium is film. They will live together from now on. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the quote I read from Zack Snyder is that he wanted the uh, the movie to be a trailer for the graphic novel, like a two-and-a-half-hour trailer. Yeah, rock and roll, totally. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this, this is the Clockwork Orange. You know, Kubrick had Clockwork Orange, Snyder's going to have this one. This is going to wreck people for a long time. <laughs> In the best possible way. <laughs> I watched this poor woman from a morning show that will go unnamed just squirming in her seat. I mean, Ross covering her face with her scarf, not happy when it was over. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is the best <laughs> recommendation. That is the best recommendation I could ever have gotten for this movie. I'm like, well, that an unnamed morning personality you know, was squeamish and, and turned away in horror. They should put that on the poster. Anyone, there won't be a single cast member from, from Watchmen on any morning TV show. I'm like, I'm like, I'll be on it talking about my coffee, but that's about it. That's <laughs> I mean, hilarious. No way. <laughs> yeah. It's good, man. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. You know what's funny, too, is being in this sort of hype machine that's, that's kicking in right now. It, it's almost like the, the studio isn't asking for this. There's just such incredible demand. This is an exciting little moment in film history, if you will. And I know I'm not one for hyperbole. Uh, on some level, I could, I mean, I could care less. I saw the movie already. <laughs> right. I, it, it's, uh, it's really, really fun to watch, and it's really fun to share in this excitement. Did everyone just chill out and go see it and go see it a bunch of times? Because every time you see it, there's going to be little, little bonuses, just like the, just like the, um, the graphic novel. Yeah, I, I would also wait for, ask you this. I'd wait for the DVD, to be honest. You know what I mean? You see it in the theaters, obviously. Mm-hmm. The DVD is going to be chock full once again. Has the uh, sense of history kind of hit you that, you know, you took the photo of Rorschach? I mean, it's on the cover. I'm looking at it right now. 
of your book. You know what I mean? Like, there's one Watchmen movie, period. And yeah, you took it, the photos it, for that, and you've got Night Owl 2, and you've got Lori, uh, Silk Spectre, you've got Sally Jupiter, and, you know, those icons that, I mean, those were icons that you really helped perpetuate. And, and the, great thing about, the good thing about your, your book is that not only did the black and white photos, you know, look great, but that also represents, you know, the, uh, the art department uh, as far as costuming and costume design and the makeup department. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, I, th- I really feel that this coffee table book really represents a huge process of filmmaking, period. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I was there. I was the guy who was there every day now making the movie. I, press folks would come up for a day or so on junkets, and I knew that the images I was making, I was making for them, publicity-wise. Peter's two books are chock full of my photographs. And then this thing, and then this portrait book, is just this real sort of testament, yeah, to, to all the fine work and detail that went into casting makeup hair. Uh, and, and the remarkable breadth of of uh, experience that the Watchmen universe presents, a portrait photographer, and uh, you know that that's totally awesome. I mean, to think that my these things are going to be movies, the movie poster, for goodness' sake, it's it's going to be DVD covers, my photographs. It's just completely humbling, awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm supposed to top this. <laughs> it's such a um, it's such a world that's so dense with detail too that really like photography is probably pretty much the only medium that you really can stop and really take in everything that's going on you know as far as set design, art direction, makeup, special effects, etc. You're right. I mean, no, I made forty five thousand or so photographs. I mean, I kind of went crazy. The three times what they what they're normally getting from a film of this length. So. I suspect the 20th anniversary DVD edition is going to have uh, <laughs> more photos to be seen. I told them they should make an iPhone app like that, Urban Spoon, where you can choose your location, like Owl Chamber, and then you know start mixing and matching and just shake it up and get a photo from the back scene, behind the scenes of Watchmen. Well, wow. we do have the uh, Watchmen Video Journals app, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I love the little B-roll that got released recently. It's all so fun. This, uh, there's, they, they knew they were making history to some extent, right? I mean, they knew this thing had been around. They, they really have the fans in mind. Uh, and, and the existing fans, of course, are out there and vocal and nervous. But this, this movie is going to bring a whole bunch of new fans to, to the world of Watchmen. And that, that, that's terrific, too. Because this is smart stuff, you know. This isn't wham bam, as we know, comic book goofiness. This is Watchmen, and uh, the film really does it justice. Well, thanks so much uh, for for taking some time to talk, Clay. We really appreciate it, especially I, with somebody who had such an insider's view of everything going on from day one. I, it, yeah, no, I mean, it's my pleasure. Again, I think it's a story that that everyone is so proud of. Uh, Zach made such a terrific environment for all of us to work. It, it's a. Uh, I'm happy to be another voice in the chorus of praise and, and excitement. Excellent. And um, if people want to meet you, they can see you at the Apple Store in Soho, in New York, on March the 20th. And also, um, your black and white photos are going to be on display at MoCA, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art, up in New York as well, which is going to happen uh, later in March. 
So, uh, Clay, yeah. from all of us at the Legion of Dudes, thanks very much. And um, it's my pleasure, con- fellas. I congratulations look to doing it again. Congratulations, you, man. Thank that's, you. Thank you. That's excellent. We we hope to see it at a Comic Con or uh, something in between. Awesome. I'm going to be at WonderCon next weekend. I don't know when this thing is uh, podcasting, but uh, yeah, man, fellas, I, I look forward to doing it again and having this conversation about some other work of film film history. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks again, Clay. All right, you got it. Awesome. Great we job, heard, guys. Yeah, that, that was very cool. We, hold, we heard uh, Clay mention uh, his coffee, and um, we will put a link up on the forums, but... Um, Clay's uh, other business, aside from photography, is the Organic Coffee Cartel. Um, he obviously cr- uh, grows and brews um, coffee beans, and he has one in particular called Night Owl Dark Roast, which, <laughs> if you look at the label, it's from uh, Vite Enterprises, which is pretty amazing. Um, all of the proceeds for the 10-ounce cans, which are 20 bucks each, um, go to charity, so that's even uh, cooler. So he was, he was able to... Uh, Make some some night owl coffee, you know. It's it's funny all the little tells that we found, you know, all the lines from the book, you know. I, I remember one of the first, I guess, really laughable moments was when Rorschach said, uh, "Dan said, is that bean juice?" And then the, the you know the line from the book, Rorschach goes, no, "That's human bean juice." You know, I, I had a laugh at that one. It's that kind of nervous laughter that people have with Rorschach, but you know, that kind of like said, it's okay to to be serious with this, but. Have a good, you know, we're going to have a good time in this movie too. I thought. Okay, Russ, why don't we uh, keep this rolling? What do you got for us next? Um, I think now's probably a good time to just get into the get into the movie, um, and and talk about some of the high points. Um, so I've got I've got copious notes, as they say, and I figure you know we'll just kind of start going around the room with you know points and and things that you know that that uh, that stood out to us. So, you know, my notes are kind of chronological i kind of use the the book again as a as a frame of reference to to help jog my memory and point things out i i didn't actually sit in the theater with a with a notepad um jotting things down um so i, I did my off. second time actually ralph so don't feel bad i i <laughs> i really did bring a notebook with me to take notes the second time i watched it yeah i said if i if i went and saw it again i would definitely do that um to get to give me some some you know better points to talk about so um I guess what better place to start than the beginning? Um, the, we kind of brushed on this earlier, but for me, the the whole the way they handled the com- you know, starting with the the whole comedian's death and it started out with a big action scene like we talked about, I think was was kind of a stroke of genius. You know, one of the things in the in the book is it just seemed like you know killer breaks in, punches the comedian, hoists him up over his head, and throws him out a window. And I thought it was awesome that in the movie we got to see that the comedian is a skilled fighter, that he, you know, was able to try and get some licks in, um, that he did put up a fight, and that, you know, uh, also that, you know, he kind of expected it. I mean, he sat there and, you know, when the door kicked in, it was, you know, um, you know, knew it was just a matter of time. You know, he kind of knew it was coming. Yeah, when they, had the, uh, when they had the McLaughlin group on, and uh, Pat Buchanan was guest starring. People screamed uh, more when they saw Pat Buchanan than when the uh, child molester got killed with the hatchet. So if that's any indication, you know. <laughs> well, the one thing I want to say about the uh, the whole um, fight scene at the beginning is that, uh, yeah, it's definitely different from the book. But with, you know, it being film and not a book, I, I think you have to do something like that. Uh 
Because yeah, I think the action is definitely a, supposed to hook you in. Right. I mean, more definitely. than more than in a you know in a book, you need action like that to bring in the casual viewer of the movie in. You know, give them something to grab onto. You know, very very early in the story. Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, as a big fan of the book, you know, when I started seeing that scene, first thing dropping going through my head was. We're losing the rest of the book because we have to see a couple of extra punches, and uh, that was kind of rubbing me the wrong way. It was not a good way uh, for me to enter into the movie. But I understand why they did it. I just uh, I just hated to lose more of the book because we're just a couple of extra punches. I, I think if they didn't do the opening credits the way they did, I think, yeah, because, I mean, one of the things we talked about when we started Issue 1 was we could see it cinematically where it really plays out from the perspective of the cops reenacting it. Um, but I think because of the way they pulled the credits in, I think it was a nice, I think it would have been a little too, too disjointed if you started the movie, um, you know, with the, this kind of, um, character play scene and then cut to the, to the credits, which is really just kind of a retrospective of, of this world and how we are where we are. So, um, so I think, and I think the, the credits, that's kind of the, the, I guess the next, the next stop on the bus is, is the opening credit sequence. I mean, we've, we posted it on our website. It's, it's available free and, and, and clear now. They've, they've put out the uh, little four-minute or four-and-a-half-minute opening credit scene to um, Bob Dylan's um, Times Are Changing. And uh, I, I just, to me, I just thought that was incredible. I've, I've, I've watched it a bunch of times, and there's just there's so many things in that opening credit sequence that just really sets up you know where we are and what's really going on without having to go into lengthy exposition um, to detract from the movie. And again, you know, the, with the whole credit credit piece. So I don't I don't know what you what you guys kind of thought about the the credit sequence. Well, before you get to that, I just want to mention that the the whole scene in the comedian's apartment really sets the tone for for Easter eggs throughout the entire movie. I mean, if yeah. you look at the uh, comedian's apartment, he's got the pinup, the Vargas-style pinup of the original Sally Jupiter. He's got the guns given to him by Richard Nixon. The picture, you know, the picture of him that we see in the in the comic, you know, of him with Vice President Ford, we see sitting on a table there. I mean, and all through the movie, I noticed little Easter eggs like that, little things in the background that, you know, didn't necessarily have to be there, but it's cool that they would go the extra mile for the, you know, the fans of the graphic novel and put those things there to kind of flush things out. One of the nice things you see. One of the things you see when uh, uh, Easter eggs you mentioned is that he keeps a picture of of Sally Jupiter at his bedside. That you, I don't think you really saw that in in the book because you really didn't go in there. Uh, and that was just a nice touch that I that I really liked. That attention to detail that Zack Snyder had was really nice to see. Yeah, and plus, Lenny, you found um, didn't you find a three hundred Easter egg? Yeah, when when Vite breaks open the door, evidently uh, uh, the comedian lived in in three thousand and whatever, and uh, it splits a little, and you see just three hundred hanging off the door. Yeah, the one fell off. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. <coughs> Did you guys? I'll, I'll I'll say one more piece I had on the on the the fight scene. Were there portions of it? And Jim, maybe you got a better look at it on the on the big old IMAX screen. Did it really seem obvious in some points that? It wasn't um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the comedian, but his stunt double in those fight scenes, or was that just maybe the older makeup made it look a little odd? But to me, it just really seemed like it was the stunt double fighting. I would think that more with Ozymandias. I mean, the, and, you know, as Matthew Good is portrayed in the rest of the movie, he's not you know a particularly you know muscular buff guy, but the guy throwing the comedian around his apartment is pretty uh, 
pretty strong, you know. I didn't notice that at all with uh, the you know um, the Jeffrey Dean Morgan and the comedian. I thought you know the the stunts were pretty uh, well integrated, but uh, as as far as Ozymandias, that maybe maybe more so than uh, the comedian. Speaking of the old um, old person makeup, the the one thing that took me out of the movie here and there was uh, Richard Nixon's old person makeup. Yeah. And yes. and Sally Jupiter's old person makeup, I I thought it was below par. Actually, I was fine with Sally's. I mean, Nixon I can see, but I think it was meant to be exaggerated a little bit more. It was meant to be more of a caricature of Nixon. That's my 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 thought on it. But I I didn't feel distracted at all by by Sally. In fact, the fact that I didn't see Carla in that in that in that those scenes uh, to me actually made it work more because uh, I really saw Sally Jupiter. Sally Jupiter. Yeah, you saw the, uh, the what you call it, the crow's feet, and all that other stuff. That that was pretty, that was pretty good makeup. I thought for a silk specter. I, I thought it was overdone. I mean, I got the point. You know that they wanted her to seem older with the crow's feet and everything, but I thought it was a little overdone. It was kind of distracting for me. I, I would agree with you, John. By the end of the movie, I, I got over it, but uh, it, it really just stuck out to me as this is a young person playing an old person. I didn't really feel that way with uh, the comedian. I thought his was pretty good, but uh, there's a lot about the performance of of uh, the guy playing Nixon that that kind of he he definitely was a caricature. I mean, he just was over the top for that, and it was a little it pulled me out a little bit there. Well, so was the guy who played Ted Koppel on Face to Face. You know, uh, that was that was definitely a send up. Of, of Ted Koppel. I mean, he got the inflection and the intonation dead on, you know. Now, I know in the in the opening, uh, the scene with uh, showing all the past uh, footage, um, that Kennedy didn't talk. But, man, that guy who they got to play Kennedy looked dead on. I thought they yeah, did. I, was, I actually thought they did a Forrest Gump style, just like edit in for that, for the handshake scene at least, they edited in. I kind of thought that's what they did actually. I, it looked like it at first, but I'm pretty sure they got someone to play. Actually, I think I even. I mean, the motorcade it. was obviously a reenactment because I mean you had a you know a nice steady, you know, uh, steady cam shot of uh, going to the comedian, but still, the uh, at least that's, almost, cool, that's what it appeared to be. But, real- but I really thought they did a, like a Forrest Gump substitute Doctor Manhattan here scene with some other actual footage, or at least cleaned it up. But you're right; it could have been an actor. Yeah, I thought the Kennedy the Kennedy actor was in, was spot on. And now I think about it, there probably yeah. isn't any surviving footage that would have been that clean. So yeah, it would have been an actor. Hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the one thing with the credit scene that I thought was really kind of cool, and I don't I don't know how best to explain it, but it's almost like there's a layering effect, um, especially in that first scene, you know, where it starts off with the original night owl taking down that criminal, and there's the cop on the one side, and of course the guy with the camera. You know, there's always a camera there to, to capture these things. Um, and then the, the way the lettering goes across, but it seemed almost like they layered almost like a viewmaster thing, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, 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 you have one layer is the background and you have the cops is another layer and the photographer is another layer. And it just, it seemed like a lot of those shots had that layering effect, which I thought was really, I don't know, it was really cool. Yeah. I'm really curious from a technical standpoint, how much of that was like a practical, you know, optical effect as far as between mixing like panning and zoom and actually zooming out as well as do an actual pushback? Because, I mean, there's ways you can mimic those effects with actual photography. But I'm sure, I mean, clearly a lot of that was, was uh, also CG. But I'm curious how much of that was practical effects. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah. you know, the camera could have, you know, you could have just had the actors on dollies because you never saw their feet, except for um, the, uh, 
the the famous kissing scene in the opening credits, you know. So I'm sure they could have done any amount of movie magic on that. And actually, that was great uh, putting silhouette in there with the class with the the the, the, the classic um, soldier kissing the nurse scene was just like oh my god, like taking these, these moments in history that we know so well and just tweaking them into the Lost Man world. I, I really actually appreciate and like that scene. It was funny because then you saw the sailor coming up right behind her, like what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it, yeah, I think that's where we get these hints of history diverging. Mm-hmm. You know, because well, obviously that was meant meant to be, you know, the way we've always seen it. But yet, you know, she's kind of stepped in and and changed, you know, changed that famous photo. Or uh, Russ, as we were talking earlier, the uh, the Miss Jupiter instead of the Enola Gay flying away from uh, Hiroshima. Yes. Yes. Or the police all around Sally Jupiter and her little scene all looking down her shirt while yeah. she's getting you know, the key to the city. Okay. Hey, uh, Adam, Adam, you put uh, something in uh, uh, on the th- one of our emails earlier. Uh, we co- or on the thread we commented how the uh, th- Sally's retirement party was uh, was basically laid out like the Last Supper, and w- yeah. that was nowhere near the book. I don't remember that at all. Was, was there any significance that you can think of why Zack Snyder would have laid that out like that, or did anybody know? Yep. The only thing I could think of is that the comedian was where Judas was. Right. And where Peter and Paul were, it was Captain Metropolis and Hooded Justice and, of course, their gay relationship. Right. Not that, you know, that's anything like Peter and Paul, but just the coupling aspect. Mm -hmm. If you even go back to the idea of pairs in the book. Um, Otherwise, um, right next to Sally, who is not not underlined, bold, uh, you know, a Christ figure, uh, you know, her... Um, Lenny and I were talking last night. Her, um, what was it? Her her manager, who became uh, Lori's uh, stepfather, was you know also standing uh, next to her too. Right. Um, and you know, you know, silhouette and everybody else filled out the filled out the end of the table. But um, I mean, it was the Last Supper. It was the last time the Minutemen were all together. Oh sure, no question. But I just you know like. I mean, what was there a specific message he was trying to to put out there, other than just, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we late, set this up to look like the Last Supper"? I, I couldn't think of anything else than we just talked about. Yeah. It was pretty cool, though. Kind of like um, uh, we were talking the other night, like the uh, Galactica promo shot from a couple years back. Right. Yeah. Same. Yeah, same concept. I was a little unclear if 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 it was just a fortuitous. Um, um, image that looked like the Last Supper, or we were actually witnessing them doing like a a publicity still or something, and and her husband, the 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 movie guy, was at, purposely lining them up like that for that shot. It's possible. I didn't think of it. That yeah, way. That, that that's kind of interesting because that's one of the things I noticed in watching you know watching that credit sequence, and there always seemed to be a photographer around. It, it almost seemed like you know there was a lot of media shilling going on. Um, you know, back then from these guys, there always seemed to be a camera within, you know, within arm's length, you know, to capture these events and the whole, you know, we got to see these cool things that, you know, we didn't really see in the book, you know, dollar bills, cake getting caught in the revolving door and him getting shot and, you know, Mothman and, and her, uh, lover getting, you know, um, killed in, you know, in, in, in bed and silhouette. You know, all the, is silhouette. I'm sorry. Silhouette. Mothman was carted off to the loony bin. Right. Um, you know, all those things were really cool to kind of just see flush out. And, you know, and, and it kind of follows the, the, you know, the pattern where we start out almost like the pattern of, of superheroes themselves, where we start off and everything's bright and cheery. You get this, this heroic, you know, night owl, you know, taking the bad guy down and, 
you know, Sally Jupiter, you know, around the cops and, you know, her takedown. And then it starts to get a little more twisted, a little more twisted. And then until we get the end where, you know, people are literally, literally rioting in the streets to, you know, because they've had enough. They want the cops to, you know, they want the police to do the police work and they want the mass heroes to, you know, to go away and, and leave it be. So it was kind of really cool to see, you know, that pro- progression of, of this world. What I really like is, is they gave us five minutes for for us and for the the the, the, uh, the uninformed viewer, if you will, someone who hasn't read the comic. Five minutes of the history of of where we how we got to the status quo of this world right now. But they didn't leave it there. I mean, through Hollis Mason's uh, story with with Dan, and then Rorschach's monolo- uh, one of his monologues about what happened to the heroes, kind of just gave an audio description to what they just saw. So he named all those heroes. If you didn't really know that his name was Dollar Bill, for example. And what happened to them, you know, you know, explain a little bit more, um, gave a, just a little bit more to that, that viewer, to get the new viewer, to set them up where we're at, and uh, then move us along with the rest of the story. One thing I, I really enjoyed at the end of the sequence was, um, you know, you get the television shot of Nixon being reelected, and it kind of pans back, and you have a, uh, a guy spraying the graffiti, you know, who watches The Watchmen, and as it pans back, the protesters keep walking back and forth in front of the window, so you never get that full shot of who watches the Watchmen. There were a couple spots where you did, but not many. But even then, yeah, right? Are... Not in the opening sequence, You're though, right, which I right. thought was cool. So, so of course, after we get to the to the opening sequence, we get into you know start off with Rorschach's monologue, which was awesome. One before before we get one other question, I'm going to ask you guys, and and to me, I didn't have a problem with it, and I'll I'll, I'll explain why, but. The whole concept that Dr. Manhattan hasn't changed the daily lives of people as much. There were no electric cars. There were no, um, you know, I don't think we saw any flying ships until the end. But well, we saw plenty. We saw the Gunga Diner balloon. Actually, so we know they had that. Yeah, there were right. some airships in the background okay. in uh, Adrian's thing. Okay. They, they didn't um, talk about the cars so much here, but they did show uh, them throughout uh, being plugged in along the streets. And as we hopefully with the extended edition, if we see more of those human moments, like I mentioned earlier, we should see more. Like That's where we really saw a lot of the, the cars. We didn't see uh, like Dr. Manhattan's conversation with Hollis about, how, uh, about um, you know, now we have electric cars. We didn't see that kind of stuff. Um, but well, I mean, we, like in fairness too, the time they didn't spend that much time. On you know the famous corner in New York that the majority of the secondary and tertiary stories took place. So, like I said, I think Ken, you're right. You know, this is when we're gonna have to do the you know right. That's that's, that's where I was going. When, when if that stuff gets inserted back in and hopefully is is included, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that kind of stuff was shot. I mean, they had Bernie's the Bernie's there, so hopefully there was more than just that scene that was shot. There's a there's a uh, a, a piece in the in the score CD called "Who Killed uh, Hollis Mason" or something like that. So clearly, that's referenced there. Maybe that was shot, and we'll see more of those kind of scenes in the extended edition. Not, not to jump ahead, but you get the you know, idea. Yeah, well, Hollis Mason was killed in the. Um, you saw the not tops bash his head in in the Japanese trailer. So that was that thank was you. I knew I saw it on film. Thank you. I didn't know. I saw. I feel like yep. couldn't place where. The whole plot that they introduced about um, on Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias working together to bring about renewable energy and to uh, make uh, fossil fuels obsolete kind of goes against the whole uh, you know, plugging in the cars or whatever because that's kind of the plot that they used to you know, cause their disaster as opposed to in the book. You know the giant squid or what have, have you. Or America's you know, a junkie to fossil fuel and you guys are the dealers. 
something like that. But uh, I mean, that ties in, but into their new plot, which work, you know, works itself out differently than in the book. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it made perfect sense that you wouldn't see um, an energy-rich uh, society like we see in the book, because the central point here was that it wasn't an energy-rich society, and that Byte had to work with uh, with Doctor Manhattan to create some kind of a power source. Yeah, the the other thing for me that I thought would have been Okay, here you have, you know, you, part of this is you have to you have to build this movie for the for the layperson. You have to build it for the person that is seeing the movie for the first time and, and wasn't in depth with the book. If if the if if the movie just in a vacuum, you're going to see it. You know, it takes place in 1985. If you, all of a sudden you see these futuristic looking battery powered cars running around everywhere, I think just from a visual perspective, I think that would take you, take away from it. Like, I think you'd be taken aback by that and almost be like, was it the past? Is it the future? What's going on? I, I think it would have been a little too distracting um, and maybe a little hokey. So to me, it didn't bother me. I thought that was fine. Um, you know, I like, I like that it was in the book. I think the book gives it a little more time to evolve and for people to understand it, and it was subtle. Um, but again, that, that was kind of my thinking um, as far as, you know, uh, in addition to what you guys mentioned, but for the movie too. They really hammered the oil companies. And I would also add what Jim was saying about Lee Iacocca, the car companies too. I mean, <laughs> they really, really hit that, I think, in this movie. If this wasn't actually filmed like Principal Photography like two years ago or so, I'd almost say that was put in as much as a, as a knock or a metaphor, as a direct shot to uh, the current situation today with the fuel prices, things like that. But this was filmed a couple of years ago. Um, I remember they were talking at a San Diego Comic-Con panel in 2007 um, after they had already shot it. So, I mean, it's but it's very possible they deliberately put that in because of what's going on. So so we talked about Rorschach a little bit. Um, and I guess as we come across these characters, we'll talk about the casting. So what did you guys think about Jack Earl, Earl Haley as Rorschach? Me, personally, I thought it was probably the, the best piece of casting in the entire movie. Yeah, I thought it was spot on. Uh, his voice he used was great. Uh, his look, his walk was just as I expected. No complaints here. I, I, I'm not going to call this a complaint, but um, just something I was curious was the way he performed it. It seemed to me that his, his voice, his mannerisms, inflection was the same regardless of if he had the mask on or off. Um, which is clearly not what we got out of the book. That's just one thing that wasn't distracting. It was just something I noticed. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from. Him. I think he was great. His final scene with Doctor Manhattan, I thought, was dead on, and I loved it. Even everything going on in the uh, uh, in the prison between uh, uh, the the oil scene and then, of course, the uh, uh, the breakout um, with big big figure was great. He was definitely. The, it did change the that line though, and I was kind of annoyed by that. You know, they change it from my hand, your hands, my perspective to, I think, my hands, or your hands, my pleasure. Right. Which I don't know why. Well, it just just read read better or sounded better when he said it. I don't know. I don't know. I I, clearly, it means he took pleasure in doing what he was about to do, which I don't know that Rorschach necessarily takes pleasure in what he he does. He just sees it as a necessity. I did like the um, the keeping score, you know, two nothing, your move, and uh, big figure runs away. Hmm. Yeah. And then the whole fat chance and, you know. Tall order. You know, yeah, yeah, tall, yeah, small world or whatever. But uh, what, one of the things that I was really disappointed with was when Rorschach was up in, in the comedian's apartment, 
And in the book, the way he kind of figured out that, you know, maybe the coat hanger been, was gone. Yeah, the coat hanger thing. I was waiting for it. And <laughs> he just found the button and, and pushed it. So, you know, I guess maybe it would have just taken too long for him to sit there and monkey with this coat hanger. You, you guys, you guys just saw it twice. Um, when he was looking at some other stuff. I thought I saw it when my real quick, I only saw it once, um, like a little dot, like a red light or something like was shining on the floor that caught attention, which led him to the uh, to the closet. Did you guys see any of that or catch anything like that on your multiple viewings? No, I didn't see it. I just saw he sees uh, it looked the like picture. He, it, I thought of I thought there was and yeah, yeah. Before, I, and and he kind of just throws open the. Yeah, I, I thought didn't he, really see it. I thought he was looking at something on on the the, the the picture or something, but then something else caught attention. I thought I saw like a red like a, a light shining or something because. As soon as I saw that, he immediately turned his attention to the closet. Like suddenly, something drew him there, and uh, I just thought maybe if, I'm, I'm going to watch for that when I go see it again. Yeah, I, I thought that um, the the casting on Warjack was perfect uh, when he was without the mask, and even the mask itself, uh, uh, the way it moved when he was talking, uh, it was really well done. I love even the shot that he took from uh, Adrian at the end. Uh, if I remember the book right, I don't have it at arm's reach. Um, you even saw the, the, the ink block gets, get, get manipulated by the punch, and they definitely showed that very well in the, in, the, uh, in the movie. Yeah, what did you guys think of... It seemed, and you know, of course, the book is a bunch of static images. Um, it seemed like the mask moved a lot. You know, it was constantly moving, which I, I guess I never really thought of. You know, in the book, I just kind of thought it would change here and there. But in the movie, you know, that it was like constantly, almost constantly in motion. The one thing I didn't see, and I couldn't tell, I mean, you really can't tell what his facial movements are going. But I kind of expected to see the ink blots look like they were moving more with the movements of his face, like as he speaks or whatever. And it didn't appear to do that to me. It seemed more random. Like I thought as he moved his jaw up and down that you'd see the ink blots move a little bit more with the movement of his jaw or, or, or what have you. I didn't see that. But you're right. It definitely moved constantly. Were you guys cool? Were you guys upset about not getting the origin of the mask? Or yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was. I, I really wanted to see that because I really like that part of the story. Uh, I think it really explains his character a that's little a, bit. That's more. a lot to put in because there's a lot of stuff you have to put on there along with that, like like how Doctor Manhattan has changed. Uh, has changed the world because if I remember right, the the dress he cut it from was was made from a material that Doctor Manhattan helped create. So you need a lot more than just the mask came from a dress when you worked at a dress shop. I I thought I mean I thought that was an easy cut. You know, for me it didn't I did I didn't it didn't bug me at all. The whole point of that was to show um, to stir Doctor Long out of apathy, and you didn't need to have the stuff about Kitty Genovese in there if you weren't going to have Dr. Long's arc yeah. in there, period. Yeah. And I'd also add that the mask moved totally appropriately when, um, like, Rorschach saw the child molest, uh, the, the dog, the, the two dogs with um, the kid, the kid's bones. And likewise, when they were at Karnak, um, whenever Adrian punched Rorschach in the face, the blots like move to the other side of the face. It was, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Something yeah. I think everybody needs to keep in mind, too, is how tough it's got to be for him to to do this role because his face, which is like an actor's like main instrument, is covered the, you know, almost the entire time he's on screen except for when he's in prison. I mean, to get across you know, the feelings and the, the way he's saying things and the inflection of his voice, 
you know, without being able to use any of his face. I mean, that's very challenging, I would imagine, for an actor. And it just really speaks to how good he is in this role. It, and uh, I think he was even masked more in this than in the book, it seems like. Um, one oh, yeah. thing I want to mention is my wife, someone who hasn't seen, read the book, uh, I asked her afterwards if she realized the guy carrying around the end of his nigh sign was Rorschach. Um, and she said she had noticed him throughout the movie. And she says, yeah, he kept on showing up, so I knew he had to be somebody. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. I love when, I thought, when, go ahead. Did we even – I, I remember seeing it one or two times. Was it more than that? Did the end is nigh sign – did they he show walk- walking around with it? Some five times. Oh, wow, that much. I yeah. must have missed a few. Yeah, the very very beginning, walking down the street, just like you saw on the first page, um, you saw him uh, at the funeral a couple times. You saw him uh, walking by Dr. Manhattan, and then at the end of the funeral, as everybody was leaving, um, he just kind of leaned up against the wall, and uh, I think you saw him take note of Moloch putting the uh, roses down. Uh, you saw him uh, when Dandler leaving the restaurant, and he's in his monologue saying, they, I watched him leave. Uh, they don't know me with my face on, and it wasn't. It was a good like ten seconds later after he said that that you saw Rorschach standing there, because uh, I'm looking. Yeah. I'm like, where is he? Where is he? I don't see him, and then you see him from behind. You don't realize him, and then there's two more that yeah. I can't place right now. So, so we have the. I mean, the Dan Rorschach scene that you know at Dan's apartment was almost like verbatim. I mean that that whole thing was pretty much you know, um, straight out of the comic. You know where he shows up and the whole human being juice thing and. Dan flicking his thumb on the on the button, and I mean that was all really cool um, to see. That was you know basically untouched. Then you know then we get you know in the book then he moves on and and Rorschach goes to see Adrian, and then um, you know before he goes to to see Dan, uh, John and Lori, and in this one and this is where the time seems a little weird to me because they made it seem like it all took place at the same night. Um, and, or maybe not, where, where Rorschach goes from talking to Dan to talking to John and Lori, and in the in between, they have Dan going to see Adrian in the daytime. So, right, well, I thought that was the next day. So you see Dan at night. Dan, he probably saw Dan the night the comedian was killed. Um, the next day, Dan goes to see Adrian. That night, Rorschach goes to see John and Lori. You know, yeah, and, yeah, I guess. But now, why do you think they made the switch um, to have Dan see a bite instead of Rorschach? Because Dan punched him out at the end. Yeah. He had, it's like, because he believed, because he believed in Adrian. Yeah. I, I, I think that just worked on a couple more levels. I think it was more believable that Dan would be able to just, would just go and see Adrian. You got a little bit more of Adrian's, uh, Adrian's, um, uh, business interest, interest, because he was having the, the interview with the same reporter we'll see later on at the ABC studio. Um, and, I, I I just it, it that just seemed to work for, for me. Not I'm gonna say it didn't work better. I just didn't mind it. It just helped move things along faster. I think it was more just to get uh, Dan some more time to introduce the character too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You really hadn't seen him a lot that to, I think they're trying to humanize Adrian a little bit too. I mean, because I mean he greets Dan so warmly and yes. they talk as if they're really close friends. And I think they're trying to maybe you know bring a little bit of sympathy from the audience for Adrian so you'd empathize with his character a little more and not think that he was the one behind everything. Make him think but he still is a friend I of the just, Watchmen, still is uh, you know, is doing good, which he thinks he is right, anyway. Right, but I just, 
I just, like I said, I, I really think, and you know, no, no offense to him, because I just think he was kind of miscast. But I think Ozymandias was like the, the the weak link in the casting chain here in this film. I mean, all the other actors, I, I think, really hit the mark well. It took me a little while to be sold on the guy playing uh, Night Owl too, but I ended up, uh, you know, buying it. But Ozymandias, it just, it just seemed like the, the, it was a little, the performance just a little flat. It seemed missing some of the the, the depth of the the character from the book. Oh, well, by the way, remember, you know, he can't cackle it or anything, too. That's a pretty hard, that's a pretty tall order to fill. You know, I'm I'm here to save the world, you know. And what have we always said about the villains? They believe they're right. You know, that's, I mean, I was convinced that Adrian thought he was doing the right thing. Oh, Dan, do grow up. Oh, by the way, in terms of uh, Dan's apartment, I was reading online. I didn't catch it in the movie. Maybe you guys saw it as an Easter egg. Uh, Dan has a copy of Watchmen in, uh, on one of his desks. I didn't see that. Look for that. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. He should have probably read that. <laughs> it's on his desk, according to this uh, MTV article about Easter eggs. Interesting. I heard that book's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These guys do a podcast about it. It's supposed to be pretty decent. Um, what do you guys think about about um, Patrick Wilson's casting as Night Owl? I think people liked him because they definitely got the Clark Kent vibe from him. Because yeah. if there were there were two performances that people popped for, and that was Rorschach and my, and my at the seven o'clock show on Saturday that I saw, and Dan also. Um, they, I mean, it was it was Clark Kent. It was Clark Kent for the masses. Yeah. You know, and um, that's it was just it was I mean, he's just a wholesome guy. He was he was he was a good, you know, he was a good, a good part. You know, I mean, whether it was, you know, having him let um, Lori put on the goggles and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that classic, you know, nerd archetype. I mean, it just worked. It, it, he did great. You know, I saw I, I, I mentioned before about how Dan's. Uh confidence like in the book you know between being dan and being a uh, night owl the difference in his attitude and the way he carries himself and i thought patrick wilson really pulled that off from for me from my eyes uh you can definitely see a, a distinct difference and and at the end when you when uh, they go visit sally's mom he's nowhere near night owl attire but you can still he's dressing different he's carrying himself differently he's fully night owl 100 percent now he can he can be he's confident as himself as well and uh, you saw i saw that change in him I really liked uh, him as Dan. Um, the one thing I didn't get the feeling that he was quite as out of shape as what he is portrayed in the book. Um, I mean, he is a little bit, but uh, not 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 nearly what he's in the book. And then when, when he puts on the costume, uh, not at all. Yeah. Well, the costume, the, a little, the costume wasn't fabric. It was it was definitely more sculpted than uh, than a fabric costume would appear in the book. So you definitely wouldn't see that as much. You're absolutely right. I think as the anchor to reality for this story, I for what for whatever reason, and this is no and this is no diss against you know Patrick, but like I just seem to think that that was a studio decision. Let's we don't want him to be fat. I really believe <laughs> that. Definitely believable. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I thought it was. I, I I definitely think that. I mean, no disrespect to Matthew Good. I think by the end of the movie, I I started to I started to come around to Adrian a little bit better in his portrayal, um, you know, as him. But I and I, I guess it's just part of the being tainted by the book is you see him as this ultra fit, you know, kind of you know stocky, 
you know, great shape, you know, kind of guy. And to see, um, you know, Matthew Good, who's kind of, you know, pretty, you know, skinny, you know, kind of the, the, the long neck, skinny, you know, he doesn't exude that, you know, I'm in super duper shape kind of guy. See, wait, um, go ahead, finish, finish your thought. No, and, and, and to me that, I, you know, I, I guess that I put too much emphasis on that, but... Uh, See, I, I, when I see something I, like that, I, I actually am more intimidated when you see someone who is capable of all these feats, and you see it dememonstrated not only in in, in uh, community's apartment, but on, on the television broadcast uh, when he's doing the uh, the gym, gymnastics, and of course the final fight scenes. When you see someone who, when you look at them, they're not that intimidating, but then you realize what they can do. That is actually, I think, more intimidating, more scary because you think, oh my god, this guy doesn't look it, but he can really, really you know, take me down, which, which is also kind of why I actually like, like the Christopher Reeve Superman, the Brandon Ralph Superman, as opposed to the, the bodybuilder, you know, V-shaped, huge muscles Superman you see in the comic books, though that, you know, to me, Superman, he's super strong because of the gravity. He shouldn't look like he is, he's been like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, same thing with, with Vite, not that he's got super strength or anything, but just he's so well fit and so well toned and he just is more powerful than he, um, then he looks like he should be, and that makes him uh, more of a threat. And I thought that was carried off very well. So we get so then, of course, we get Rorschach showing up at um, at the at the at the base to go visit um, Lori and and John, and we get introduced to the CG Doctor Manhattan in in more detail. Um, I thought I thought this scene was pretty good. I think there's some kind of subtle changes. I, I I don't think that Lori came across as being as um, forceful and bothered by Rorschach. Um, you know, they made it seem like he was just more of a nuisance, um, and it was John that made him go away as opposed to to Lori. I, I think her character is a little weaker um, than it is in the book in some in, in some respects. One of the things I really noticed about Billy Billy Crudup is. Um Dr. Manhattan, and in the movie um, about the character overall in the film, is that we really don't get a chance to know him as John Osterman as much as we do in the book. I mean, in the book, we have him, you know, the entire chapter devoted to uh, him, his character, how he got to be that way. Here in the film, we only get a couple of minutes of his his origin. We really don't understand the motivation between him and Janie Slater. And and I think if it were um, that performance would have really benefited if we could have seen him as a human first, and then or seen him as as a human at some point during the film, more so. Um, you know, so we could identify with him, you know, a little more than we do in the in the two and a half hour version. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, and I guess we'll we'll go ahead and, and speak about it now, because um, I think it's something that's been on everybody's mind, um, is the whole, you know, one of the reasons I think that you accept and see that Dr. Manhattan walks around with no clothes on <laughs> is that we kind of see a slow progression of him, you know, kind of losing his humanity where he goes from, you know, a full suit to, you know, fully clothed to a tank top to you know, a speedo to, you know, we kind of see where that progression happens. Um, in the movie, in my opinion, it wasn't, they didn't really talk about that. I mean, every time we see John, other than when he's doing official, you know, doing something official and in a suit, he's in a speedo. So if, if you're not going to show that progression, to me, I didn't need to see full frontal Dr. Manhattan 
as much as we did. That, I wouldn't expect to see it, so I really wait, was but bothered minute, by it. But, but then if you didn't show the progression at all, Russ, people would be complaining that there was no progression and it wasn't faithful. Yeah, yeah but there's able. ways to angle things so that you don't have to see everything but still know he's naked. But then that's not true to the original. Yeah, but if, what, if you're, I guess if you're not following it verbatim anyway, then why not tweak it? I mean, I can, I, I can fully understand... If, like, when the first time they show him after he reintegrates himself and he's there in, in all his glory, okay. But, like I said, if you're not going to show that progression of him losing his humanity, I don't see where it's necessary to keep going with you know, that. You know, you didn't, showed, get, you didn't get the you progression. Didn't, you, didn't think they showed the, you didn't think they showed the progression when he lost his humanity um, with every single bit of narration he did or when he went to Mars? That's where I was I mean, going, like, yeah. You don't think that they showed the progression of his loss of humanity when Jenny threw the earrings at him directly from the book? I mean, like, or, or Laurie's like, you know, he doesn't even know what things I mean, are anymore, and he's holding holding the bra like, not like, what what's this? I mean, uh, you, you really got a lot of that. Or that he's working on the what you would call it lab equipment while he's with Laurie. I mean, like, if we're going to argue over a one piece, a speedo, and naked, like <laughs> that's, I think that's a dumb argument. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm just a little more comfortable in my masculinity. I can deal with it. I got that he was detached, but I don't think they showed him in any other light first. I think he was detached right from the start. That's the point I was going for, John, actually. But but they didn't in the book either. They flashed back to when when the photographer uh, took a picture of him, when he was happy with Janie. I'm not saying that it's different from the book. I'm not saying it's different from the book. I'm just saying they didn't really show a progression. They showed him as detached. I don't think the size of the film really allowed them to show the progression that they did in the book of him, you know, slowly shutting his clothes as a metaphor for him, slowly shutting his humanity. I mean, you got to realize how economical we have to be to fit everything in a two and a half hour movie. Right. No, agreed. But I think there was there. I think they did show him in scenes where in the in the book they showed him, like the photo of well, in the book, the Watchmen photo. If if you go back to what, if you go back to the book in that scene of that night of the Watchmen, if I'm not mistaken, he had wasn't it like a sleeveless, wasn't it sleeveless shirt, or like a tank top kind of yes. thing going on? And they didn't. They showed him straight in the speedo. So I guess what I'm saying is there were there were opportunities that you wouldn't have to go through exposition that they could have matched his mode of dress with the time progression in the movie and they chose not to. It's harder to so, CG the CG uh, just arms, I guess, than to do the whole torso. So it was just easier to do it that way. <laughs> I think what I'm getting at is a little less blue peenie would have been okay. <laughs> hey, if this is going to be an unedited release, let's move on. To something else. <laughs> Fair enough. So we get the, you know, the other thing we get a good sense of is the whole, is the chapter breaks. Um, you know, we got we got the we got the Dan and Lori, um, you know, dinner sequence, and uh, you know, it was a little different. Um, you know, it was a little more, um, a little less extravagant, a little more intimate. Um, you know, when we saw it in the book, it was on the top. You know, basically on the top of a building. You know, kind of restaurant at the top of a hotel or something like that. And then we get that downward perspective. This was a little, you know, a little different. We didn't really get to zone in and focus in on some of the background characters and stuff that we did in the movie. But, but otherwise, I mean, it was pretty much, you know, again, you know, pretty verbatim. I had one problem with this scene, 
And this is probably the only scene that I can say I was taken out of the movie of the whole movie of all two and a half plus hours. They're having dinner. You're hearing very, you know, quiet background conversation and music and what have you. A couple of shots, what's going on. But then at one pause, one very moment, all of a sudden you hear very clearly, I'm so glad I got the four legged chicken. And it's just kind of yeah, put out there that you could, you know, kind of get the you, you want to get the sense that things, <laughs> are, awesome. things are different here. But it's like I know we saw the four legged chicken in the in the uh, in the book, you know. But why didn't you show us that in the background? Why did you have to go through the effort of you know putting in this very clear audio of background conversation that when you can't hear anything else clearly like that? It just like threw me off so much. It's like wow, even more so than hearing Drew Barrymore's voice coming out of Malin uh, Ackerman. Right. <laughs> I, I totally missed that. I, I kind of chuckled at it. it. It didn't bug me. I just kind of chuckled yeah, at it. I mean, I got over it pretty quickly, but it, it was just that instant was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And yeah, no, I see the point, and especially because a lot of the other background things uh, in terms of the way the world changed weren't even there, like we were talking about the hydrants and such. I don't recall seeing any of the funky cigarettes either. Did they show no, those? No, I didn't see any of that. No. Nope. Even Lori. I, I don't think Lori pretty much. Besides, uh, besides the comedian, they took almost all the smoking yeah. out. Which I don't think Lori smoked. Uh, doesn't really make sense. Yeah, so I guess if they're if they're going to take those points out, it really is a bit gratuitous to have the line about the four legged chicken. I mean, they could have even put it there without saying it. But yeah, yeah I get the point because it did really it, pop right out. It ruined the movie. Just saying, nerds. <laughs> ruined the movie. Nitpicking nerds. Oh my god. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I can't did, take this. Did Joe Casada have a hand in this or what? talking about dr mahan though i thought they really nailed him i i mean i thought the way uh, uh billy crudup uh presented him the sort of the very even keeled tones in his voice uh uh I, I just thought he was really well done in this movie well, yeah. well billy crudup is known as a voice actor uh that's actually I've read some interviews with him where that is where most of his income comes from. So uh, that was a great casting to get someone who had such a uh, control of their voice for the play character who needs to have that. He's the Mastercard guy. I remember reading exactly. somewhere that uh, that Zach deliberately chose to not like manipulate his voice. Like you, you might read when you read when you read Watchmen, he always has his, these blue dialogue balloons. Um, you kind of get the sense that maybe there's a, an inflection, intuition, or even a, um, <coughs> excuse me, a some serial. kind of, excuse me, not, not a theory, but theory some, some kind of like, I, I don't want to say machine or mechanic, like electric, electric kind of sense to his voice, but you, you hear, you, you think you're gonna hear something different, and he chose not to do that. He's like, no, you probably wouldn't. He just talked normal, um, and he just talked very, very monotone. Uh, and it did very well, but I like the choice that he made of, of speaking that way. And, and uh, as long as you're saying, his, his characterization I thought was very true to what I knew of Doctor Manhattan. As I said before, I've read it within the last you know nine months, not within the last twenty years. So I was very new to me, but I really enjoyed it. It tastes uh, yeah. like a battery. Apparently, it's a D cell. Yeah, it's like looking at a nipple battery. Yeah, I was I was fine with that. What did y'all think about when uh, when he would transport people, how, how they uh, showed that in the film? I wasn't expecting the shockwave that actually had that much of a physical uh, impact on the environment, like when he went to the studio and uh, uh, the paper went flying. Not only that, when you saw it from that, that or orbit shot of Mars and it looked like the um, the blast went possibly for miles, it's like, oh my gosh, and he does that on, on Earth, like in a room? Like It's amazing that nothing else gets, bl gets blown out when he does it. It's a small planet, though, too, so 
Yeah. Unless unless the, the, yeah. the power takes a transport to another 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 planet is that much more powerful that it would make that kind of a of a blast radius. Plus the gravity. Plus the gravity and atmosphere. Oh so yeah, that's yeah. I thought his, his his crazy castle was pretty cool. Um that was pretty convincing. I like how it was initially sand and then like you know how he says to Adrian, I can turn this place to glass? Like it's not glass initially. Yeah. It kind of uh it kind of perfects itself as it kind of rises out of out of Mars too. I I, I when but, I read it, I always I kind of looked at it like it was the like like sand is what glass is made of basically. So I really thought he was going to be forming the sand into the glass, but it really almost looked like the structure was already there under the surface, and all he did was pull it out. It just kind of uh, see. I was thinking. I was thinking it was. I don't. I can't remember what they say in the book. Did they say it's glass in the book? I think it's implied. Or, yeah. I mean, it's, oh, I I, I I I was wow well, not. Not, I didn't really think about it too much, but looking at it in the movie, I actually thought more along the lines of ice. I don't know, man. Yeah, no, I, I just took it as he fused the sand instantly and formed it into and formed the, in the glass the yeah. structure. Yeah. I, I, I like the fact that it moved constantly like a clock. I thought that was really cool. I was ex- um, I was really curious to see how that would happen. I'm glad it didn't look exactly like the book with the hourglass and that, but it still had a timepiece yeah. feel to it. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was extremely well done. I like that they left in that Lori couldn't breathe when they got there. Oh yeah, yeah. Thought that was a yeah. nice touch. Yeah, and I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, they didn't go too explicit with her trying to throw up either. Uh, one thing I did like um, when he was being uh, evaporated, if you will. <coughs> Excuse me again. He uh, like the last thing he thinks of before he gets obliterated is the scene with his dad, and he's like, "Now it's just a question of putting the components back together in the correct sequence." It's like that's the last thing he thinks of. Which, of course, is exactly the first thing he does is put himself back together. I just thought that was a nice touch to to put it that way. I think the yeah. CG on him was definitely a big seller. I liked how, especially with the extreme close-ups with, with Dr. Manhattan, that you saw kind of like, I don't want to say ambient, but like you almost saw like dust particles floating around him. Yes. On the screen. And like could- I th- and Jamie asked me, she says, is that like, does that mean he's like electric? And I said, I don't think it is. I mean, did everybody get the same thing? that that was just like everything was a little more amplified because he was there or was able to be seen. It's almost like having a black light, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, you know, when you, when you catch the sunlight coming in from a window and you can see like all the dust in the beam, you know, it, it, I took it as he gives off so much light and, you know, you get his blue reflection on everybody's face that he's speaking to and everything. Mm hmm. Especially in that original uh, Watchmen photo they took um, when Nightall sets the camera up. Yeah. Well, and they, they totally juiced. I mean, part of it, that, all that lighting is natural. I mean, they totally juiced up Billy Crudup with a blue LED suit to get that natural effect. So when you see, you know, him interacting with Lori or Dan or whoever, that's, that's natural light. That's not CG light. I mean, it may be enhanced or whatever, but, but that, that was the intention to to reflect that back um, on him. The other thing you notice, too, is when you looked at, at him, like, on his shoulder or, you know, different parts of his body, you can almost see, like, a little blue light kind of bouncing around in there, too. There's, like, some move, a little bit of subtle movement, um, you know, going on as well. I found myself really looking into his eyes a lot just to kind of figure out, like, what was I supposed to be seeing? And it was just kind of, like, really nebulous, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't just a solid white, you know, I, you know I, I'm, I'm glad they put some detail in there so you can kind of see, 
you know, there was more than just, you know, just two, you know, white eye sockets that, that there was some, you know, some, some detail in there. I thought the funeral scene was pretty cool. And I think, um, Moloch was pretty cool too. Um, Moloch was great. <laughs> Rorschach didn't jump out of the fridge, but I mean, Moloch still got the beat down, you know, Rorschach didn't steal any eggs from him, but, um, I liked it. Um, I, I liked how, and I'll, and I'll go back to this cause this is one of the beats that Rorschach picked up on. Um, and kind of in tandem with this, like they w- once you hit Moloch's apartment, they really started hitting pyramid deliveries. Yeah. Um, when we see uh, the two Bernies outside, in, in one of the few shots we see them in, uh, a pyramid delivery truck goes by, and then you see it in Moloch's mail. You know, so it's kind of like building and building. And I was like, well, if you don't think it's Adrian, you're going to kind of connect the dots. But at the same time. I said to myself, do, does, do the masses know the cultural, historical reference of Ozymandias to begin with? But um, I, I think the breadcrumbs were there that people could kind of piece it together, at least yeah. with, like, what's keep, what do we keep seeing? Was, yeah. was, the, uh, was, was the murder, the guy who was attempt- doing the attempted murder on Adrian, in the book? Yes. Yeah, in the book, was he, uh, was he a pyramid delivery man? I can't remember. Uh, well, yeah, because then that's because that's when they go to Happy Harry's, and then that's how they get to Asia. Right, right, right. Place. Okay, I just want to make sure because, like, again, that's just another scene where you know it, it's actually there to throw you off the trail, which is what the point was. But uh, you're hitting Pyramid Deliveries so hard, and then when you see he's being attacked by someone from Pyramid Deliveries, you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not him. Although they altered it a little in the movie, they connected Janie Slater to the guy that attacked Adrian, I believe, um, which wasn't in the book yes. at all. It made me think that maybe they were going to involve her more as an active participant in, in Veidt's plan, but it, there was nothing more other than that link between her and the and the would-be assassin that we learned in the bar. Yeah, I didn't quite get what the purpose of that connection was with, yeah, with Janie Slater paying you know, being the contact and paying other than they just linked her more closely to pyramid. But I think just trying um, to trying to keep it a little tighter and keeping, you know, rather than introducing somebody else key with somebody who we already know. Yeah. I think, um, I just get, get back to the funeral a, a bit. I, th- I think, um, I think it was interesting how, you know, one of the subtle changes, which I'm, which I think worked fine was, um, you know, when we get back, to, I mean, the, the whole Minutemen scene, I think was pretty about as close as you're going to get to the, um, you know, to the book, you know, the, the, the comedian, uh, Sally, you know, att- rape or attempted rape scene was, was, you know, pretty close to the book, pretty brutal. I mean, you know, he attacked her and then Hood of Justice comes in. Um, you know, I think that was pretty, pretty close. Then when you get to the, to the, the Minutemen or the Watchmen scene, you know, you lose, you lose Captain Metropolis and then, you know, Adrian is, is basically filling that void, you know, where he's, kind of the ringleader of trying to bring these guys together. Um, you know, and I thought I was, you know, I, I didn't see a problem with that at all. I, now, you know. Was it Adrian or I thought it was actually Night Owl that was playing that role? No, I was, think he's, I think it was Adrian because he was kind of doing all, was this, all the talking. Yeah. Was it like who paid the photographer? They showed the photographer being paid. Oh, In no, the book, that was, was Night Owl 1. That was Night Owl 1. That the was Night 1. Yeah. That was Hollis. Yeah, no, yeah. So back in the, the Crime Busters um, scene in the book, um, I, I thought. Are you saying that it was Vite in that crime buster scene right. taking the role of Captain Metropolis? Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. In the movie, yeah. 
Yeah, they just—I mean, basically, they just—they just nixed the Captain Metropolis, you know, which is fine. I mean, I—I I didn't think that, you know, really adds or detracts anything from it. The, the only and, thing uh, it lessens, and I'm not going to say it ruins it or kills it. It just gives it—it it gives a different impact. But the only thing it lessens was the idea was that. Um, as as Nelson is going through his whole, we have to. Somebody has to do something. Don't you see that? And and you get that sense that okay, this is the moment where Adrian figures it out. You still get a little bit of that, but I don't think it has that sharp of sharp of a point um, as it did right, in the but book. The point, but but Ken, the point of that scene was the comedian had to step on Adrian, and you still got that. I mean, you still got him stepping on Adrian, yeah. And without Captain Metropolis there, like when the comedian lit the lit the map of the U.S. on fire, that was. A, that was a stab against Captain Metropolis, and Adrian. It affected him. This was both a stab at Adrian, and it affected him at the same time. But, yeah, but I, I think I, I do agree with Ken. And to, and for me, it just it lessens it a little bit because you really the way they frame it in the book, even is he the wheels are turning, you know, and then they cut back to the funeral. So, I, I, you know, one of the things I, I think I was a little disappointed with i think i expected a lot more of these cinematic type transitions and i don't think we saw a, a lot of those i think i mean you know we got the transitions back and forth and stuff but i don't think i got them in quite the way that i was expecting them what do you mean like wipes or like george yeah, lucas like, like star wars like swish pans no, or i know what you're saying uh, no russ i know what you're I, saying I, the parallel yeah. panel structure mm-hmm. where yeah, you see one thing and then like another stuff scene. Well, like the black fr- the black is not there, but take for example the scene where you know he's caressing the, ma- the the figurehead of the ship, and then you just cut to the scene with Laurie in bed with John. You know, granted that one we couldn't do because we didn't have the black freighter to do it. But there's other examples of that where you go from one scene to another, um, going from the photograph in uh, Nelson's uh, uh, it's not Nelson, uh, Hollis Mason's apartment to the lives taking of the picture in 1940. You know, those kind of things weren't there. Although they did have the trans. Uh, so the movie just started, think- guys. It started, it started on a big yellow screen, and it transitioned into the comedian's button. Yes, and but, but that wasn't trans- in the book. We're talking about ones from the book to the screen that weren't there. Uh, uh, yeah, because you did have a transition of that group photo, I think, from the comedian's apartment to Hollis's apartment, right? I remember, we saw that same photo in two different locations, oh, yeah. second one being Hollis's apartment. I, I guess I'm thinking in more terms of the funeral, where... You see a specific pose that the that the, the the person is taking, and how that blends. Like you, I almost saw it as like a fade out of the background of one and the fade into the background of the other. And yeah, no, and you're like, right. That exact. I'm looking at it right now in the book. You have Ozymandias looking at the burning map, and he's it's a profile of him. And then the next scene is the same Ozymandias thirty years later, or mm-hmm. how many years later? He's looking the same way, but this time he's at the funeral. Yeah, or Doctor Manhattan. Right. You know, we we end with the scene in Vietnam on Doctor Manhattan's, Manhattan's face, but we don't come out to the funeral on Doctor Manhattan's face. That didn't happen. We went right to the casket of the, of the flag. Plus, there were a bunch of times when uh, something would be said in a caption that was uh, visually ironic with what was being shown. Like, you know, for instance, when Lori goes out to visit her mom during the funeral and uh, what brings you to the land of the dead and, and it's you know, showing the cemetery. I thought we'd see a lot more things like that. I yeah. That's kind yeah. of what Russ is saying too, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. By the way, just in terms of uh, we're talking about um, uh, Dr. Manhattan's character, they did make a change uh, in the in the interview show, which I guess is consistent with what they did with him in the book, where he's definitely a lot less out of touch with humanity when he's being interviewed because he starts talking about 
how dead people are the same as live people. And, uh, and that was something that we had heard in private, but not something you would think that he'd be smart enough not to say that in front of a, a national public. But this, this advances the idea that right. he is really alien and, and, and he will be the alien that everyone comes against at the end of the movie. Yeah, I think given given where they went with the ending, I think the whole you know Janie Slater showing up at the you know to confront him live at the broadcast, the reporter getting pretty aggressive. I think it does more to set him up for um, you know in the way he kind of freaks out and they captured that. I think that's what makes that ending a little more believable or acceptable is the fact that you know you you, you kind of saw him you know. I think it was a little more more pronounced in the movie than the book, and and, I, and again, I, I think I was I was good with that change. Yeah, and I mean, I like the way they tied. They made sure that everyone understood that now the Russians and you know the the United States are working together. So it's kind of like an aha moment. If you had any question of why Adrian was, you know, doing this, went through all this trouble, you know, for people that hadn't read or or whatever, I thought it was a perfect tie up at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And they use that great line from the book, too. What is that in your hands? Some sort of ultimate weapon? <laughs> yes, in a way. Yep. Yeah. Having Jane Slater at the at the uh, the interview was a nice touch. Another one of those cases where um, you take what was in the book, just tweak it a little bit just for pacing's purposes. Because, I mean, that whole sequence of, of what she said, yeah, she said that in the book privately to the reporter. Well, now we have sticker right in there, and she's still able to say, you know, I gave you the best year of my life. I stuck by you, and what did you do to me? You know, and she gets to say it directly to John in this case. Um, so there's a lot it of cases It gives a like lot that. more impact, too. Yeah, it A lot does. more impact than just having a quote from her, you know. Right, right. And then, the you know, we get that kind of juxtaposed with the, you know, the, the alley fight. And uh, I, I thought it was a gr- I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was a lot more brutal, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier. But I thought it was a pretty cool. You know, again, you got to kind of throw some action in there to keep people going along. And I thought it was a pretty cool action sequence. So what did I mean? Just going around the horn. What did everybody think of you No know, Squidzilla versus um, you know John? If, if you don't mind me, don't mind me asking, Adam. You were like when we first heard about uh, No Squid, you were like BS. That's crazy. Having seen it now, how do you feel? I have no complaints about this movie at all. It was awesome. I, I, I will admit, I was skeptic. I was very skeptical. I've, I've been converted. This movie can do no wrong in my eyes. It was awesome. I will tell you right now, Mr. Macchiante, I, got, I give this a solid 10. This was an awesome flick. <laughs> it was sweet. And I like the ending. And I will tell you what the the biggest geek out moment I had was when they was when Rorschach and Dan were in Archie, and they were coming up on Karnak and they hit all along the watchtower. I uh, that I was just like I can't believe this. This is too cool to be true. Well, you know what? Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we can talk about the ending and 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 tie it in with our rating. And uh, I'm with Adam in terms of. Uh, I thought the ending worked great. I think that Squidzilla probably would have made it into more of a comic book movie, if that makes any sense. Like, you'd talk about it al- along with some of the other crazy things that happen in uh, in superhero movies. And I think this kept it a little bit more serious. It, it worked better on the big screen. Um, in terms of rating it with comic book movies, definitely a 10. You know, I can, I'd put it next to Dark Knight, you know, if that's my previous number one any day um in terms of rating it with like my favorite pieces of film 
you know, of all time. I definitely would go eight and a half, nine. I mean, I don't really have any complaints. I uh, I thought that what they did uh, with ch- making the change at the end um, really went in line with how the cuts they made to the film. Uh, it it made a lot more sense because obviously with the changes they made, uh, they didn't have the islands with the uh, with the writers and the artists and stuff. It, it just worked better, I think, and that that's why it didn't bother me so much. Um, all in all, I really enjoyed it. I, I think as someone who really likes the book, read it multiple times, uh, I, I, I love seeing the stuff on screen. I know what happens. I can fill in the blanks. Um, someone coming in who hasn't read it, I think will have a little bit harder time with that. And, and that's what I kind of felt even while sitting in there. Uh, with some people who hadn't seen it. Uh, now, obviously, we've heard otherwise from a few of the people called in. Uh, but as far as for me, I, I, I give it around 9 out of 10. And that's a good point, Reed. I, I think adding Squidzilla probably would have had to add, what, another half hour, 40 minutes, you know, in, in leading up to him and the island and all the people missing and everything. I mean, I think it's a good point. You couldn't just show up with Squidzilla. That wouldn't have made anyone happy either. Without the background, well, I mean, with the, without is- Squidzilla, you you lose, and and to me, losing Squidzilla and losing the Black Freighter, the Black Freighter kind of go hand in hand because you know the Black Freighter, yes, it's a very nice parallel to what's going on in the rest of the, the Watchmen title, um, but without Squidzilla, you don't have the island, you don't have the artist, you don't have the scientist, you don't have the writer of the Black Freighter. So now you've got the Black Freighter's kind of by itself with no real momentum. At the same time, let's say you got rid of the Black Freighter but kept Squidzilla. Well, now the people on the island have no other real impact to you as a viewer, as a reader, because it's like they're just kind of there with no connection to the outside world, meaning the Black Freighter. So losing both of them together really works, I think, better for me. Uh, I really like um, – I wasn't a big fan of the ending as a comic book. Not that I didn't enjoy it thoroughly, but I just like – you know, and this is going to sound strange when you consider you have a book with the world that has do- someone like Doctor Manhattan, but it's like you go through all this. You know, you know, what if the United States, you know, had Doctor Manhattan and this had happened here, and then all of a sudden you're getting well, aliens are going to invade, so now we have to work together. It just seems like it comes out of left field. And it's, I know, again, it sounds strange when you think, well, you have Doctor Manhattan, why can't you have that? Um, but it just kept it tighter and made it more believable for me to have, you know, Doctor Manhattan being the the bad guy, so to speak, from the world's point of view. Uh, I'm going to give it a, an eight. Actually, that's going to sound you know probably low to a lot of people, but only because I mentioned before that human element, that everyman feeling is not there. And uh, ask me again when the DVD comes out if, if if that may change then, because I'm hoping a lot of that will be put back. You don't think that human element is in there, even with Dan's story? Only because or, or- he is he is he is not. When I say human element, I mean the people who aren't in that club of costume heroes, of the Watchmen. I'm talking about the you, the me, the guy in the street, the Bernies, um, the cab driver, those people, how their lives are affected by having these costume heroes around. You really don't get that impact uh, because you don't have that street corner. Except you don't when you have see that. them blow up, John. Except when you see them blow up on the screen. Right. Man. You see them blow up, but it's like... But if you ever read the book, you're not going to know who the heck they are. Yeah, they're just... They're, they're just, they're just, they're just white guy hugging each other. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know? that's, that's it. They're... I want to see, like, 
you don't know anything about the rest of their lives. And I think that's a key piece that's that's missing from the book. I'm not saying I didn't like it. I believe me, I'm not saying I don't like it. Um, there's people out there saying that it's right up there with uh, with Spider Man three in terms of worst movie ever. And I'm not, I'm definitely not going to say that. Uh, it's 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 to me a solid B right now because there's uh, humanity. That's not. That's unfortunately not not there right now, and it, it's just missing. One last thing I just came to my mind that wasn't there, and this does this one didn't affect my uh, my my rating or my judgment at all. It just was uh, was a line that I missed not being there. Was um, after the breakout, after Lori and John leave, and you have the Rorschach and uh, and Dan moment, the friend moment. Dan didn't say, "Do you know how hard it is being your friend." Because to me yes. that clicked. Yes. That clicked with Rorschach. Here we just go right from his his couple lines to Rorschach saying you're a good friend, Daniel. And it's like that's missing something there. You needed that line. And, and actually, I, actually, Rorschach says it's hard to be my friend. I, I I think he says it that way. You sort of had the other side of the conversation. I, I, it's something like that. But it just I I think Dan saying it. You don't know how hard it's being your friend. Click with Rorschach because I don't think Rorschach until that moment even thought he had friends. Agreed. Mr. Deets? Well, uh, as I said earlier, I think it's about as good uh, a a Watchmen movie as you could fit in two and a half hours. Uh, Just like Ken, I'll I'll be eager to see the the longer cuts so I can see more of the street-level stories. I really think that you know that humanizes it a lot more than uh, you know. I mean, Dan's story obviously is you know the most grounded, most human story or whatever. But I really think the street-level stuff, you know, the street corner stuff, really like. Gave so much more to the setting and it just made the world seem that much more real and populated. Um, again, the cast I think is stellar. I think they all did a great job, except for, as I said, my um, issues with Ozymandias. As far as the ending, I really didn't have a problem with the way they changed the ending. I thought it was okay and it kind of made sense unto itself in the movie more so than the squid because, as John pointed out, they would have had to have a lot of foreshadowing to bring out the squid at the end. Um, and have it make sense in the context of the rest of the film. Actually, the the only thing that bothered me about the ending uh, were just two quick things. First of all, the CGI Bubastis just did not do it for me. Oh no, I liked him. Um, he was fine for me. I, I, I you need to be more human. Oh, it stop it! it Somebody it agrees. It, it, it kind of <laughs> took me out of it a little bit. And the other thing was. And this bothered me even more than the major change they 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 made to. Um, the story was that Dan uh, watches uh, Doctor Manhattan kill Rorschach. I thought that was a huge change, and it just totally—I mean, I don't know. They, I mean, obviously they got rid of the part where Laurie and Dan go off and do their little, you know, horizontal dance, and you know, John looks down and smiles on him. But I mean, t- for him to watch Doctor Manhattan slaughter his, you know, his friend, his 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 partner—I know he unleashes his fury on. Uh, on Adrian there, but I just, I, I was just wondering why stylistically they went with that choice. Um, I, I mean, that, that was the main thing that bothered me about the ending. Um, I give it an eight as well. Um, again, come, t- come talk to me when I see the four hour cut, cause I'm sure I'll probably uh, give that a higher rating and like it even more. But again, as, as far as the two and a half hour theatrical Watchmen movie, we couldn't really ask for anything better. Did you know Rorschach was blown up? They did like you actually got a top-down view of Rorschach's <laughs> bean juice. Yeah, and it was, and the, in the, shape, it was in the shape he of became, a Rorschach blot. Yep. Yeah, he became his own ink blot. That is awesome. That was a nice touch, definitely. Oh, look, visual irony in a Watchmen movie. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> Lenny, what'd you think? Yeah, I think uh, 
Well, first of all, in terms of the ending, um, I bought it. You know, I, I thought it was a reasonable change, getting rid of the squid. And I, I don't know if someone mentioned it. I, I was talking to Adam yesterday that the um, the project that, that, that Ozymandias was working on with Dr. Manhattan was called Squid and an acronym. So you really did have a squid blowing <laughs> up the cities. Um, uh, uh, so, I, you know, I bought it. I thought it was okay. Um, you know, I had a bigger problem at the ending in terms of uh, the final. You, you end the book with the uh, idea that Ozymandias has some doubts that his plan's going to fail, and he gets those doubts in part um, from the conversation he has with Doctor Manhattan, where Doctor Manhattan says, "You know, it never ends." Uh, in the movie, they switched it around, and and he still gets that doubt, but he gets it. Um, from his confrontation with Dan, and I, I thought it was a, a bit weaker. Um, you know, I, I mean, I understand they, they kind of built Dan's role up throughout the movie a bit, and then he has that line about how you didn't save humanity, you, you defaced it by killing all those people. And uh, so on that, on that note, I, I thought it lost a little bit. And then also, I kind of like the fact that the book ends with the last image being the, the smiley face with the blood on it, to sort of say the comedian gets the last laugh that Wright's plan is going to fail because of, because the, the the book is about to be found. Uh, they had the scene showing like the ketchup squirting on the sweatshirt, but it wasn't the last image in the movie, and I that just sort of bugged me a little bit. Um, overall, you know, as comic movies go, it's definitely in the top five. You know, I mean, I put it up there with Dark Knight with Iron Man. Um, uh, if I had to rate it as a movie, I, I'd probably go a little a little less. I, I thought. You know, while I liked the different characters and I thought they really brought them to life, I, I can't say there was really any performance in the in the movie that really blew me away. Where uh, I thought that the actor is really doing a great job here in terms of acting. I think it was more a question of they they gave him the right costumes, uh, they they did the right lines from the movie, and they did it they did it well. But in, you know, as an overall movie, you know, no no role here is getting an Oscar nod, um, and uh, I think. Uh, Overall, it's also hard to uh, take away the book from the movie. Fairly or unfairly, that, that lowers my rating of the movie because uh, it's hard for me to picture the movie standing alone. Um, and and I, I keep feeling that the movie is more shallow than the book. Still, I, I think it was a lot of fun. It, it was visually stunning. I, I, I give it, I'd say, eight and a half, maybe tilting over to nine. Well, I guess that leaves me. I... Uh... I'd give it a solid nine and a half. I, I, I don't think I'd quite put it at the 10. Um, and, and a lot of it is based on what, you know, everybody said before. I think you do lose a little bit of the heart of the movie. Um, when you kind of take away the, the Bernie and Bernard, when you take away the, the cop story, I mean, we basically lost the whole cop sub subplot where he, you know, kind of zones in on what Dan is really doing and, you know, them getting the tip, you know, that Rorschach, you know, was killing Moloch. Or, or you know that that that's set up there. You, you lose a little bit of that. You lose the Doctor Long um, story, and you know I think in order to not make it a re you know again these are, these aren't things I think that that really 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 detract. I mean you can't make a five hour movie. One of the things I would say is it, I'm interested to see how this would have played out if they would have done it as like a six hour HBO mini kind of thing, because I think it would have been interesting to see you develop all that stuff and see how that played out and see what Zack Snyder could have done with it with, without the time constraint. But given the time constraint, I think, you know, I think he did, did, um, did the best he could. I personally thought the ending was better in the movie and played out better in the movie than it did in the book. I think having John, you know, or the, or the, the threat of John, you know, being what kind of pulls people together, 
um, works way better than just this weird squid that shows up in the middle of Madison Square Garden and, you know, nobody knows what and, you know, what's going on. So I, I thought that I, I like the fact that, um, when, when Dan and Rorschach finally confronted Adrian, that there was a, you know, bit of a fight to it that, you know, they kind of manned Dan up a little bit. You know, Night Owl was, you know, a, a stronger character, I think, and they portrayed him you know, as being a stronger character, you know, because he didn't just sit there and take it and just let, you know, Warshak kind of get beat up. And then, you know, they actually had, you know, a bit of a fight there. Um, you know, and part of that, I think, I, you know, um, it, is, it's a movie. You got to, you know, you got to have some action. You got to move it forward. But I like that, that they just didn't portray Dan as this, you know, big wuss, um, you know, that he, he, does, he does have some fight in him. And he wasn't, you know, afraid to show it. Um, unlike Jim, I, I really did like the fact that, um, that Dan was there at the end when Rorschach got blown away. I thought it was really cool when Rorschach started to walk out, and the first thing Dan did was look at Doctor Manhattan and said, "Don't even think about it," you know, because he knew right off what what you know what John was going to do. And the fact that you know Rorschach ran off, John disappears, Dan goes after him, and I think you know I, I just think having you know Dan react to the fact that you know of what John did, I think um, you know, again shows a little more heart. On Dan's part, you know he, you know he had a pretty strong reaction um, to to what happened. So I I personally liked that part of it. I liked it a lot better than him and Lori going off and you know having a little tryst after you know nearly you know watching all those people die and all that that stuff going on. To me, that just I don't know, it just seemed like a like a almost like you know what has to happen in a teen horror flick or something. You know, the, you know all this crazy stuff is going on and people have to stop in the middle to go fool around. It just never rings quite true. So I I, I like that part. Um, of the movie personally, um, and then of course we get um, you know the, the visit with with Sally at the end. It didn't really bug me too much that it wasn't you know blonde Sally, blonde Dan, you know, and that they've changed their identities and, and all that around. With you know, since you didn't have the whole subplot with the policeman, you know, it doesn't really matter anyway. So um, I thought that was good, but I think you know I'll be interested again, like everybody else, I'm going to be interested to see what the full cut of it is, to see what they they add back in, um, and to see how that goes. But I think. I think just some of those elements are, are for me, what caused it to, to not be a 10. I think one of, one of the other things is, you know, one of my comments was the pacing was a little odd. Um, it wasn't paced like a regular, you know, like a typical movie. And I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Um, I'm just curious as to what, you know, the, the, the general public thinks about the pacing of the film and the way it, 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 it goes along and how the music gets intercut. One of the things we did mention, and I, I will mention this, I, I laughed to myself when... We had the scene with uh, Lee Iacocca and all those guys at Adrian's place, and you had the elevator music playing of Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World in the background. I just, I, I just laughed. That's I a great that moment. Yeah. But anyway, solid 9.5 out of 10, I would say. And, uh, you know, waiting to see for the final cut to see if that, that pushes me over the top. One of the things that happened to me was uh, after the explosion, I was like, okay, Explosion went off, you know, Bernard and Bernie are gone, Dr. Long's gone. I was waiting to see all the dead bodies hanging out of Madison Square Garden, you know, like those first <laughs> six or eight splash pages, and I was like, okay, where are we going to, oh, wait, <laughs> New York's gone, I forgot. <laughs> like, there was just literally a gigantic hole in the ground, and I was like, oh, well, they did change that. That was pretty cool, though. You know, it was, uh, I thought they were going to kind of, like, do, like, a little more wreckage tour. But, you know, that was, I'm cool with that. That's all right. You kind of see the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building, don't you? Sort of in the background, all 
all beaten up, and in the foreground you see the the uh, pyramid construction trucks. Oh, yeah, you do. Know. Oh, on the pull-out shot when you end up at the New Frontiersman? I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Also, the, they uh, quadrupled the damage in, in the movie, right? Because doesn't he do it to four cities instead of one? Beijing and like, Moscow. Yeah, it's like, like six or eight, I think. It was a lot more than just four, yeah. It was, it was, I heard it seemed LA. to make sense, too, because it kind of globalized the threat rather than it all being centralized in New York. Right, that was the idea. If, if you look at everywhere Adrian had a clock in Karnak in the, in the book... That's everywhere he had a monitor in the movie uh, that, that had an explosion. Right. Interesting. Well, we kind of saw it, too. You know, when, when, when they show that external shot of Karnak and you see that big blue blip, um, you know, that, that's him setting it off. And then, you know, you see Dan and, and Rorschach come in. From and that, then you from that point, it took him 35 minutes to get to him. Yeah. Well, I don't, but I don't think it was the 30. I think that's when he started the first one. But the way he made it sound... Was that the last one happened like right at mid like like New York happened? Like, well, it like was it, probably a sequence. Like it had to like send a pulse out yeah. every couple minutes. So the yeah. last one was New York. It happened then. It took thirty five minutes to get from number one to New York. Right, and and then you see the monitor. I don't know if you caught this, but you kind of saw the TV monitor starting to blip out. They they started to go black in sequence. Like like you saw all say, of them yeah. on, and then and then after you see the blue blip, they start you know kind of blinking out. So I thought that was kind of cool. So listen, guys, I would like to congratulate everyone here um, for a heck of a run. And I'd like to thank Lenny for coming on tonight for the marathon. You're very <laughs> welcome. It was fun, fun deal. <laughs> and uh, just like Watchmen, it's going to start where it ended. I'm going to send this back to Russ, and uh, he's going to take it home. Well, we, you know, I, I, I'd like to say we're at the end, but you know, it's just with the Legion of Dudes and Watchmen, where you know, there nothing ever ends. So, um, you know, we we've, we've been to the end of the book, we've been to the movie now. Um, we do have the Black Freighter um, coming up. We will be talking about that, of course. Once the DVD release comes out, we will be doing that. I think we also maybe have something special planned that maybe we don't want to talk about right now, but stay tuned. There may be some more movie goodness coming. Um, in the somewhat near future for, for all you good folks out there um, that we hope to see soon. Um, as always, keep the emails and the voicemails coming. Um, email us at comments at legionofdudes.com. Um, please send us voicemails. We love, we love to, to get and listen to voicemails. Um, and then coming up, we have, we're, you know, we're kind of get back onto our normal track. We had a little bit of a, of a, of a derailment because we wanted to make sure we got, you know, talked about the movie and got that in, um, you know, in a timely manner so we can get that released. Um, so look for this episode. This episode will probably launch a little sooner than, um, I don't, I think we're going to try and push it before our normal Thursday slot, which of course, if you're listening to this, you already know this. Um, but coming up next week, we'll be back on schedule with Kingdom Come. We'll have Kingdom Come number two that should release on 319, March 19th. And then we're looking at, um, we're, we're going to look at taking our analysis and turning it inward on the industry. So, um, so not to disappoint folks to, that love to hear our in-depth analysis and our take on everything. We're going to, we're going to take on the comic industry on, on March 26th. So that's kind of what we've got coming up for the next couple episodes. Um, and then I think the week after that will be Black Freighter. So a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, as always, stay tuned and we appreciate everybody listening in. And have a good night. Good night all. Thank you. Good night. Remember, nothing ever ends, Adrian. (laughs) Nothing ever ends.